Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Strong Stylish. I am your host, Noda, and today we are on episode 29. It is Friday, the 8th of December, as at the time of recording. And this past week on Wednesday, Sukebon happened in Miami. They ran it at a skate park. It's a very divisive company so far. A lot of people are not so keen on it. Some people are really digging the uh, alternative art, <laughs> alternative direction of the style that they are running. So we'll see how that keeps going. They haven't announced their third show yet, I believe, but we'll see how they keep going. Now they have been streaming on the CEO gaming channel, which caught me off guard because I know the owner CEO, Alex Jabelli, is a big wrestling fan. He actually had a match with uh, Michael Nakazawa at one of his CEO events. So seeing him run that was uh, not, not too big of a surprise to me, but it was pretty interesting to see him do that. I know he's done streams with Kenny Omega. He's done videos with Hikaru Shida. So me seeing people from the Joshi community and fighting in community both in the chat was very weird to me. And a couple weeks ago, uh, Kitsune, they ran their first show in Japan. Their second show ever was Chikiba First Ring on the 29th of uh, November, run by Eric on his birthday. So happy belated birthday, Eric. Glad to see you, glad to see you keep going. Um, anything else? Oh, yes, we did. I did. I was a guest on The Outlet this past week. Uh, Pedro Show, The Outlet, I was a guest on there. We talked about Stardom's very, very roller coaster year, as well as our MVP favorites, Miku Aino and the like. But today, I'm joined by two very special guests. Um, first, we, I am joined by uh, Trent Brewer, host of Many podcasts, contributor and writer for Vessel In. How are you doing, Trent? I'm doing great. This has been uh, something that's been in the works for a while. We've been talking about it back and forth, and I'm just really happy that we can finally bring it together. It's uh, coming towards Christmas. This is my little Christmas present. So thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And to our right, we have our other special guest, host of the Stardom, <laughs> the Stardom cast. Well, one half with the starting cast, Matt Turner. How you doing, Matt? Me on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the invite. Always nice chatting with you um, on the uh, social medias. And I'm really excited to be on here with Trent. I told Trent uh, before we were recording, huge fan of what him and uh, our our friend Scott uh, Scotty Wrestling are doing on Stardom Road. So our uh, yeah Stardom Road. So Trent, really excited to uh, talk some Stardom with you, my friend. Yeah, we've. Done the social media stuff on the Twitter back and forth, so it's nice to. I was going to say be here in person, virtually be here in person. Uh, Sonoda's kind of brought together the mega powers of the stardom uh podcasting world, so oh yeah. Oh, we guys got to do the handshake, my man. <laughs> Ooh, I got my hand out already. <laughs> do the Sayak uh, Utami handshake instead of the Hogan Savage to get it, you know, get it all together as a stardom podcast. See what I did there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> got to bring it back to the Joshi. That's oh, what it is. Got to keep it relevant to the subject. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me Macho Man couldn't appear in uh, Kurokan Hall wrestling against Sai Ida? Oh, man, I would love to see a Macho Man versus Suzuki match. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> Especially because the- we know he likes to meticulously plan things out and trying to meticulously plan things out with the language barrier. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that. 
I would be a big fan of uh, Hogan, 88-89 Hogan, have a stare down with uh, 2023 Tam Nakano and Cork and Hall. I mean, like, folks, you want to have the, the roof and blow off that law. building. <laughs> the Tam law for that match would be incredible. Oh, someone needs to make know. an AI of that. Because <laughs> if you've ever watched Hogan's match. That doesn't match, work for me, sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Tam would be like, that doesn't work for me, brother. And Hogan's like, you're using my stick against me. You know, that one's going to the old Rossi Ogawa TLD. <laughs> but yeah, as you guys were saying, this is planned. This has been planned for a while. We were supposed to do this in the middle of the five star. But as you know, sometimes life happens. But we're here now. Just say one of us got injured. That's what was happening on the roster. Jeez, <laughs> oh, creepers. We're shooting already. Trent, he came out fired up. And it's only 8.30, quarter to 9 at where he's at. He, he's coming in here like all sorts of fired up. Like, uh, I get like up early in the morning, clanging match. and banging on the podcasts. He's ready Look to go. Throwing lariats like Stan Hansen in 88, folks. <laughs> he had coffee and pre-workout. Oh, be ready. He's ready to go. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of injuries, there's been a lot of them this year. It caused a lot of pivots in the five-star. We'll start off with the five-star. We'll do a little recap of that. Earlier in the year, before the five-star started, there's a lot of buzz. We're still going strong. Before This is really before a lot of the injuries started taking place. And, you know, a lot of us were looking at Saya. Maybe Otami oh, was, like, the favorite Everybody had, like, Natsuko as a dark horse. Saya was always in the back of everybody's mind. Of course, um, Suzu was there. How are you guys feeling going into the five-star this year? Start off with Trent. I was really excited because the five-star Grand Prix is always kind of the time of year when it feels like stardom's firing on all cylinders because you get the best talent in the ring all at once. They're doing match after match after match. And it always feels like no matter how the year has gone, the five stars when everything starts to come together. And, you know, you just look at that opening night that they had where it just felt like every single match was just either performing at expectation or above expectation. And, you know, it's just like you get that hype. It's like, okay, here we are. 2023 has been a bit of a mixed bag for stardom, but we're here. We're ready. We're going for the five star. And then the main event kind of brought us back down to earth a little bit. Yeah, the unfortunate injury of Saya Kamatani. Yeah, jumping meters, meters, meters from the the, the air. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, we've seen that happen before. We've seen like Hanan and Mayu jump off similar sort of heights and land on people, and it's been fine. It's just one of those freak injuries, and just kind of put a bit of dampener on the night. But like the, I still think that opening night is one of the best nights of wrestling stardom's had this year. Like if you just ignore what happened in that main event, and even before the injury, like it was a going fantastically uh it was just uh, yeah that that was what the five stars all about that just match after match where it's just top tier wrestling definitely what about you matt how are you feeling going in leading into the five star trent hit it right on the right on the head and we were talking about this when we did uh with stardom cast rob and i were kind of discussing how like the the 2021 five star grand prix was amazing and then somehow the 2022 like topped it like, as far as tournament wrestling goes, you can put that up with just about any G1, any All Japan Champions Carnival. It's one of the greatest round-robin tournaments ever, the 2022 five-star Grand Prix. And then we, you kind of look at the blocks, and it's like, they kind of took out, like, no offense, like the Momo Kogos, where you know, like, okay, she's eating an L. And it was pretty much all main eventers, and then people on the rise up, like an Ami Sori, like a Han, and like a Mariah May, where they can use this tournament to get better. 
And that's what Stardom does. They do, because their roster is so loaded, that any of their mid-carders or lower mid-card wrestlers, they're going to get better because they're wrestling with the best roster in all of wrestling, in my opinion. So you look at that opening night, and you're just like, you know, it starts off with, like, Hanan versus uh, Micah, which went, like, seven months. was still really good. Then you have Natsupoi Starlight Kid. That was amazing. You have uh, Hazuki and Mayu. That was tremendous. And then you have Suzu Suzuki versus Shuri, which was my favorite match of the whole tournament. That was terrific. And then you have Soriano and Julian. They just, just kill, literally, almost literally kill each other. <laughs> Soriano gets busted open hard way at the top of the head. And how I can tell that's hard way is because nobody's crazy enough to blade the top of your head. That's just absolutely <laughs> insane. So then it's just like I remember as the main event was starting, I text, I text uh, Scott, Scotty Wrestling, and I said, how the heck is Tam and Saya? We've seen them wrestle before. They had two fantastic matches for the Wonder of Stardom Championship uh, during Saya's run. I said, how the heck are these two going to top this? Like, we know, he goes, I, you know, I think it's going to be something different because you know Tam's crazy. Like, Tam will do the new Jack dive. We know Saya Kamatani. If you go back and watch their match, I think it was from uh, World Climax uh, night, uh, night, night one where she does the, or night two, where she gives Tam a Herkarana off the top rope to the floor, and they both go splat, and then Tam does a dive off the entranceway. So you know they're going to do something nuts. I said, yeah, but I just feel bad because they have to main event all of this. And like Trent just said, if you go back and watch that match, and I don't like watching matches where somebody gets injured. Like, I don't, I will probably never watch the Tora match with Utami. I will never watch the Hayabusa match where he breaks his neck, even on the dark side of the ring when they show the clip. I literally put my head down. I just won't watch it. But um, obviously, I'm watching this live and watching it for the show. And it's like they're just going at such a frantic pace. And you're like, holy geez. Like, they're, they have a possibility to be just as good as that Shiri versus Suzu match in their own way. And then Saya does the dive from the uh, the light fixture. And we've seen Saya do the dive before. And I rewound it and watched it again. And that was the only time I'll ever watch it. Everybody that was there, they caught Saya. It wasn't like anybody was out of place. And that's what Stardom does very well. Because when you're in a match and you're you're in a faction, everybody's in a faction. Especially if you're in a match with a Wedo tie because there's 4,000 people in the faction. When somebody does a dive, everybody's there to catch it, right? So it's like, it's, it's, it's as safe as a, as a dive can be. So she does the dive and all of a sudden it's like she's down. And at first I thought she got concussed. It was her neck. And then she gets up, and you can kind of see her moving a little bit, and it was her arm. And I'm like, okay, thank God it was just her arm, and it wasn't her head or her neck, because that's something that will kind of that'll pretty much end your career. So it's like you have a great, great night of wrestling, and then it ends with that, and then you have the debut of Megan Bain, which no disrespect to Megan Bain at that point, nobody really cared about because we're all just worried about Saya. And I was like, well, what are you doing here? Like, who who's this person? We don't know. And obviously, Megan Bain has done a phenomenal job with her time and stardom since the debut of the uh, the five star. But then as the tournament's going, you have so many great matches. Shuri versus Natsupoi, Mayu versus Natsupoi, uh, Saya versus Suzu, Hazuki versus Suzu, Natsukotora. They made her a huge main eventer, uh, you know, coming off the injury that she had that put her out for like a year and a half or give or take. They really did a great job building up Natsukotora. And then you see just Utami just was absolutely crushing it. Mina Shirakawa, Momo Watanabe really finding her way as being a great working heel. I mean, Momo Watanabe from 2018 to 2021 was one of the best wrestlers in all of wrestling. And then she turns heel, goes to a widow tie, and she's kind of still trying to find her place. She has a phenomenal tournament. Mirai, Micah, Julia, Starlight, everybody's having just this great tournament. And then about a little more than halfway through, Utami gets injured. And then she's out. And then Starlight Kid gets injured, and she misses the final night versus Mayu, which would have been the third year in a row. 
that would see Starlight Kid and Mayu in the final. So it was still a phenomenal tournament. I mean, look what Hana done and Mariah May, and now Mariah May is working for the second biggest wrestling company in the world in AEW. So it still was a really, really good tournament, but sometimes you kind of ask yourself, like, man, what if, what if, if Sai didn't get injured? What if Utami didn't get injured? What would the finals look like? Who would have, what would, and what would this main event at the end of the month at Dream Queendom look like? Had Sai Kamatani not get injured? Had Utami not get injured? I mean, who who knows where we would be, but regardless, I'm uh, really excited for, obviously, Sai is back. Um, and Utami's back as well. Starlight Kid's back. Mayu's coming back from her injury at the end of the uh, at the end of the month as well. So uh, it's ex- as much as the, the stardom's hit not only some bumps in the roads, some potholes uh, to get here, but it really seems like this show coming up in Sumo Hall on the 29th of December for uh, Dream Queendom is really going to be a huge turning point in stardom, and I'm really looking forward to watching it. Yeah, they've experienced a lot of turbulence this year with injuries and. It was very unfortunate for Sayadu because she was white hot at the time. She had just come off her uh, record-setting white belt reign. And then to just get injured like that. And when you watch it, when you see it, you can see Tam wasn't letting her get up after the fall. You can tell Sayadu was trying to get up and continue, but Tam wouldn't let her. That just being a good opponent is what that was. That's just being a good opponent, you know. Because mm-hmm. who knows? Again, again, I thought it was her neck, and you could just see that uh, Tam took it almost as hard as Sai Kamatani. And who knows what that match would have looked like? You know, who knows what that match would have looked like? But yeah, you had both Sai and Utami were both white hot, coming off one of the uh, the best booking Stardom has ever done. With that, I mean, you really can break it down. I mean, it was years in the making that loser leaves faction match uh, in the steel cage where it was you know all of a widow tie versus all of. Uh, Queen's Quest with the ref and the ring of weapons. I'm like, how is this going to work? The ring is only so big. And now that they made it work, it was beautiful, poetic storytelling. And then Utami, she comes over here to America for a few dates and gets even more over. And it's just like, and then she comes back during the five stars. So I had a pretty well pegged that. I thought we'd see a Sai Utami final, but obviously with the injuries to both members of Queen's Quest, we didn't have it. But considering the fact all the injuries and all the rebooking that they would have to do after night one after night 10 uh to uh, after night 14 15 whatever the fact that we still got such a great final match and such a great final show really just goes to show you just how deep the roster is and really how great of a booker rossi ogawa is again because when you're booking around robin tournament like that you really have to have everything down pat when it comes to numbers and having certain people still alive going into those final two shows and the fact that he had to rebook that rebook that tournament so many times with so many of his big stars missing out uh just kudos to him and the roster of stardom for putting out a fantastic 2023 five-star grand prix and he had to do the booking in different circumstances too because obviously when Sai goes out on night one, you know, you can feel probably Rossi going back to that going, okay, it's only night one. There's still plenty of matches I can change around, move this, change that. You know, I can make the mathematics work. But when someone gets injured in the latter half of the tournament, especially someone like Utami who was, whether she's going to make the final or going to be open in the final night, you know she was going to have that impact. Uh, and then, like, Rossi's only got, like, two matches to sort of book around in order to make the math work for the second option or the third option or the fourth option to actually make the final night. Like, 
he must have been losing so much of what little Harry's got left trying to make this <laughs> thing work. Yet he somehow managed to give us a final, which was alluded to back in the generational struggle because Suzu Suzuki and Micah, after the second generational struggle, were yapping back and forth and basically said, well, let's sort this out in the five-star Grand Prix final. Now, if if this was never the plan, and I, I think most of us kind of feel like yeah, Utami's side, they had the story going in to make the final. So if Mike and Suzu weren't the OG plan, how incredible is it that we actually got that little bit of storytelling all the way back come to fruition here? And here we are coming into December and their story feels organic. So no matter how hard this was to actually piece together and no matter how rocky the years may be been in certain areas from booking standpoint, we've got December 29, Dream Queen, one of the biggest shows of the year for stardom with what feels like a very organic story closing out the year. Not only that, but like it could have been very easy for them to be like, well, we have to vacate the title because Tam's injured. We can just do a have, tell Suzu she gets her shot at the anniversary show and we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll do Julia versus Shuri. Uh, we'll put mm. Utami in the main event. We'll put somebody that's proven in the main event, Mayu, in the main event. We have so many main eventers that's proven that can draw for us. They are literally going with two wrestlers that have never held a major singles title in stardom. Micah, as long as she's been there, uh, has never held the Wonder of Stardom Championship, has never held the World of Stardom Championship. And the same thing with... Now, Suzu's only been... She's been there a year, but she's only been signed to a contract there uh, just earlier this year, uh, which all of us Stardom fans rejoice because we're like, please sign Suzu, please sign Suzu, uh, <laughs> Mr. Ogawa. And uh, now we're saying that by, by with us, Sayoriano. Like, please sign her to a full-time contract. She's fantastic. So it's like they're literally all chips. Like, no, this is what we're doing. We're going in a completely different direction. We have so many main eventers on this roster, but we're going to crown a new one. And it's very interesting because when they came up with the bracket, when they had that press conference about two or three weeks ago, like, here's the bracket for Cork and Hall, and then we're going to give you a Suzu versus Suzuki match on pay-per-view because why not? Uh, doesn't make any sense because Suzuki lost to Suzu <laughs> in the five star. But me as the biggest Suzuki fan in the world, I was like, I don't care. We get to see these two just destroy each other for 15 minutes and and heat Suzu up even more. So my theory was, okay, this going to have another great match, and then Suzu is going to come out of Sumo Hall as the World of Stardom champion. But you go watch that Cork and Hall show, and uh, Trent, you've been to store to shows in Japan and Cork and Hall, and I mentioned this on our podcast on the Stardom Cast. Micah, her reaction in Corican Hall reminded me of when Mayu beat Io for the World of Stardom Championship back in 2017. I have not heard a wrestler in Stardom get that kind of nuclear reaction since 2017, since Mayu dethroned Io. So now you're sitting back and like, maybe we were going to crown Suzu because it seems like, and it's been it's been reported by certain sites and whatnot that Suzu was, if Tam wasn't injured, Suzu was going to beat uh, Tam at uh, Gold Rush, regardless mm. of Tam's injury or not. So my thought process was they're gonna they gotta do right by Suzu and put the red belt on Suzu, but now they have an extremely hot hand and an extremely capable wrestler in Micah. So now it's like who walks out of this as champion? And as me as a fan of the product, and I just want to see the product do well. To me, I don't care. I'm like whatever they book. To me, it's heads you wins, tails you win. There's no wrong decision here, which makes it even more exciting. And if you literally, get, we are literally getting a rematch of their fantastic five star final, and it's probably going to be a better match. 
I think it's almost guaranteed to be a better match because both of these wrestlers, look, they put on a fantastic five-star Grand Prix final, but you both know they've got that extra gear and they're going to be looking at Rio Goku Hall, one of the biggest platforms either of them have ever wrestled on. And they're going to be looking to, yeah, because there'll be people saying, oh, you know, it's not a Julia match, it's not a Shuri match. And they'll be looking to prove that, yeah, we belong here. Micah is absolutely white hot. Uh, it's crazy seeing how loud the crowd has gotten behind her. Like, there'll be some venues where, like, I know when Hazuki faced Saika Matani early in the year for the Wonder of Stardom match, it felt like every person in that arena was desperate to see Hazuki win. My, it was that way in the five-star Grand Prix final for Micah, but it's carrying across multiple venues. So it's not just like a one-night crowd thing. Uh, the, yeah, All of Stardom, at least in Tokyo, seemed to be dead behind Micah. It'd be an incredible moment to crown her. At the same time, though, crowning the pro, uh, prodigal talent like Suzu Suzuki at this moment, like there's so much storytelling you can tell with a victory or a loss for either of them. And as long as Stardom commit and they know what they're doing, they actually go full on with it. Um, there's an incredible thing that they can do heading into 2024. And it's really exciting uh, because both of these talents, like you put them in main event matches, you give them the spotlight, uh, you're getting great matches, which as a fan of wrestling, that's really more than anything, what you want. You know, give us people that are going to put on bangers and uh, give us some good story there as well, and we're eating. Yeah, my thought process on who walks out of this as champion, I'm still, this isn't my official pick yet, I won't do that until the week before, is more than likely, and I believe you two gentlemen were, will agree with me, more than likely, whoever walks out of this as champion is going to main event All-Star Grand Queendom, and they're going to try to draw between 4,500 and 5,000 people. Mm. Scenario. Yeah, the main event, there's two, you know, the two people that are in it, um, there's a, you can make a case for either one of them, right? Obviously, like you guys were saying, Suzu being the generational talent, basically roughshodding her way straight to the top, and that could, they could run a lot of things with her where the roster is jealous of how fast she, her ascent was, just being basically rocketed straight to the top. But Micah, you know, has been there. It's been the rock that stardom is needed with all the injuries piling up. Her staying healthy, getting this shot to make it here. I don't know what the best direction is. Um, I think, yeah, like if you're looking at Grand Queendom, it's like that's going to be our champion heading in. Really, the question is who's the best person you can put against them in that situation? Uh-huh. Mike has got a wealth of people in stardom whose their story is built around her, mm-hmm. and especially depending on what story they tell, because she's been a little bit absent from Donna Del Mondo um, recently. Like she's been a bit focused on other things, feels like the fourth wheel to the Barry Barry Bombers. Um, so, like, you could, like, if you want Julia in that main event, which let's be honest, that would be a great choice, both Suzu and Micah would make fantastic choices for that utami and micah have an incredible rivalry which has been going on pretty much since micah's been on the map uh and running that at uh, grand queen would be fantastic then you've got if tam nakano is healthy enough to come back the whole situation with her and suzu suzuki the unresolved business you can run that at uh Grand Queendom, and that would have so much hype and heat because Suzu had some real fire and venom in her voice when she realised she wasn't getting the title match, she was getting a vacated title match. And, you know, the storytelling there, it's open for business, basically. No, that's why That's why if I think, if you're looking at this, like the winner of this, again, is more than likely going to main event uh, All-Star Grand Queendom. It's like, what's the biggest match you can make with Micah? What's the biggest match you can make with Suzu? I think, and obviously things can change, especially Mike, how just white, red, hot Mike is right now. There's a lot of different ways you can build between now and the end of April. So you have four months to build that up. 
But as of right now, I think the biggest match that you can make for that would be Suzu and Julia. So that's why I may think they they pull the plug on Suzu. But at the same time, it's like we got something so organic here with Micah that you can build up a new Tommy. You can build up a Sayakamatani. You can be, you can have the Julia match there. You can do uh, Mayu versus Micah, which is a match that we very rarely got, uh, you know, have seen, especially, you know, with just the role that Micah's being on. So, again, there's no real wrong answer. But kind of as we're sitting here the first week of December, what's the biggest match you can make with either match champion? I think it would be Julie and Suzu. But again, a lot can change in four months. A lot can change in a month. I'm I'm happy with whatever they go there because like all the matches you mentioned sounds fantastic to me. Like uh, if, if you're that's going to be watch the main regardless. event. Oh, oh look, uh, you, you say <laughs> that, but there's been a couple of starting pay per views lately. I've had to sort of go. Oh, do I really want to fork out four thousand four hundred yen on this? Um, but Grand Queendom, like they run Julia Suzu in the main. They run Micah. My look, I would. If we get a Mayu returning main event, I don't care who it's against. Like, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll send my friend over to wrestle her, and that's still something I'd pay to see because a Mayu returning main event with the champion theme pl- blaring in the arena, it's just perfection. What was it? The reports from the Five Star were that Saya was supposed to win in main event Queendom? Yeah, that's what that's what um, I think Dave Meltzer was reporting. It definitely felt like one of the Queen's Quest duo, Aphrodite, felt like they should have been moving on there. A lot of people on the internet, myself included, felt like it was going to be Utami uh, based on what happened and then her going on her little hiatus. And I think especially then when she brought back the original uh, victory gear for this tournament, like it felt like she was going back to the roots and that was going to lead yeah. her to victory. Um like an Aphrodite final uh, would have been fantastic and the storytelling there would have been immense. In saying all that and looking in hindsight, I kind of like that we're going to get like a juicy Aphrodite run now because after everything that happened in the cage, this almost feels fitting. You know, they finally got everything back on the same page and now they can, you know, find that form again as a team. Yeah, definitely. Like it, yeah. their their return definitely helps bolster that tag division that was very, very happy by all the injuries. Yeah, I was with you, brother. I had um, Sai and Utami in the final. I think right after the cage match, I think a lot of us were like, Utami's winning the five-star. <laughs> but uh, little birdie that is very close to the situation in stardom uh, basically told me the plan all along was for Tam to defend the red belt versus Sai Kamatani with Sai winning the five-star Grand Prix by defeating Suzu Suzuki in the finals, which when I was told that, I was kind of caught off guard. But uh, yeah, all those reports with Melter saying Sai Kamatani was supposed to win the five-star Grand Prix, I was like, ooh, I thought it would have been Utami. But uh, no, we have uh, we have some, uh, we have some a, a source very, I won't, you know, I'm not going to stooge off my source, very, very close to the situation um, that flat out told me, like, no, it was supposed to be Saya over Suzu in the finals with an Asaya versus Tam match, main eventing Dream Queendom. And then uh, no idea. They're like, they have no idea who's winning that one. It was just, that was the plan. <laughs> Obviously, it was like, we, we we couldn't even make it past day one of the five-star, let alone get to the end of December. But um, obviously, I love the, again, like you said before, Trent, uh, so well, that it's just like, this is almost like felt like they made the best out of a bo- uh, out of a bad situation in, in two championship matches because you have a really organic storyline that they were building to in the summer with the generation struggle. And then it's just like, we have Saya hurt. We have Utami hurt. We have them coming back. What should we do? Oh, we're just going to have them on a goddess of stardom championship run. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll have Kagama back. And sometime next year, we'll see Aphrodite versus FWC. Hopefully we'll have Tam back and not to point. We have Mel Tier. 
Sayori Poi never lost the belts. They had to vacate them. So don't you think they deserve a title shot? I would love to see Soriano Natsupoi versus Utami and Sai Kamatani. Mayu stated in an interview she did two or three weeks ago that she would love to do a tag run with Hanan. They were great as eye contact, one of the best tag teams in the uh, in the tournament. I would love to see Mayu and Hanan versus Aphrodite. There's so many things they can do with Aphrodite as the tag champs. And you literally can put them in a cork and hall or a pay-per-view and main event and sell a ton of tickets with a tag team title match, uh, you know, on top. And for me, who's a tag team wrestler, that does my heart good. Not only am I a tag team wrestler, I'm a huge fan of this little faction known as Queen's Quest. So, uh, yeah, they've done uh, very well, you know, with the, with this booking of the Goddess of Stardom Champions. I expect you to be throwing the hands on every time you come out to the ring now to show your allegiance to the Queens. Um, can we just, like, <laughs> quickly, on the generational struggle, how telling and how fitting is it that everyone on the youth side is either a champion right now or going to be challenging for the top championship at Dream Queendom. Micah and Suzu, both challenging for the red belt. One of them's going to walk out victorious. Both members of Aphrodite, Goddess of Stardom champions. And then you've got Mariah, who came in for the second match. She's the Wonder Champion. So it's almost throwing down the gauntlet to the other side, the veterans of this uh, group, to sort of say, okay, you know, we're closing out 2023. What you got for 2024? And I personally would love to see that. Like, it got affected by half of the people in the generational struggle getting injured, but I'd love to see that Kurokan storyline continue through 2024, especially looking at the title situation. I even pointed out that was, that's a very uh, very astute observation, good sir. And the the other four wrestlers on the other side, Tam, Sherry, uh, Mayu, and Julia, they they're pretty decent too. They might be okay. Yeah, they've had a little some good things about them. Cage match gives them a couple of three-star matches here and there. <laughs> they've all held some belts in their time. Yeah, well, I mean, two of them technically are champions too, the uh, IWGP and the New Japan Women Strong. Are those real, though? <laughs> they might be figments of my imagination. Um, I think Mayu's say- still got hers in the closet somewhere. Just off every once in a while. I'll say this as the with the IWGP, just to put a positive spin on it. Obviously, we would like to see the belt defend more. But look how many great matches we got because of this title. Obviously, the finals with uh, Kyrie and Mayu. Even go back in the tournament, we had Mayu and Utami, Mayu and Momo. We had Himika and Utami. Like great matches in that tournament. Kyrie and Mercedes Monet, Mercedes and Mayu. And then uh, you had uh, Mayu and uh, uh, Stephanie Vacker. So you had all these great, again, it's much as we want and in Mayu and Utami, uh, you know, for the uh, back in the summer um, in the middle of the five star for no reason whatsoever. But I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> the, even though like this belt is kind of like almost like an afterthought. If you look at the matches that have taken place because of this championship, it's like it's actually some pretty damn good matches. But it's like, yeah, the fact that like New Japan could care less about this title, is kind of like, then why'd you even invent it? Like just bring back the SWA title. Yeah, but again, the good thing is we're getting, we know we're getting a Mayu main event uh, January 4th in the Tokyo Dome City Hall. Um, I can't wait to see who's announced for that. And yeah, like the, the match quality has been really good. Uh, that's partly why we're desperate to see more of these matches because we know like when they get given the chance, they go all out. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we're kicking off 2024 with another exciting one because yeah, I don't know who Mayu's facing, uh, but I feel like there's going to be a real focus on. Uh, Telling everyone, yeah, this this could have caught eyes in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, absolutely, it's a, a point to prove. They at historic crossover. There's it. There, I have friends of mine that are diehard New Japan fans that have never seen a Stardom show, and they saw that historic crossover, and they were like, "Yes, yeah, Stardom completely outshined New Japan that show." 
completely did. And I think they're going to go improve it as well in the Tokyo Dome City Hall. There's a very good chance, no disrespect to Sonata and Naito, they're fantastic wrestlers. It's a very good chance that the best main event uh, taking place in Tokyo on uh, on, on the fourth of January might be might be the Mayu's match. There's a very good chance. I I would I I'm not a betting man. Uh, I would be willing to chuck a couple of Aussie dollars on that one for sure. Matt, just to touch on your what you were saying earlier, I too am a big Queen's Cluster as well as what you're saying about the Grand Queen of main event. Yeah, having Julia and Suzu have run it back one more time, and then Micah potentially facing Mayu. My, uh, Micah still has a lot to prove, so why not have her take down the icon? Good that'd be a huge yeah, be uh, opportunity for her and a great signifier that you didn't win the title, but we see you as the main eventer you're proving yourself to be. Yeah. Yeah, very much when John Cena is not champion and he's still there, it's still a, a big deal. It's still a main event style match where it's like, okay, Micah, you are the champion now. And then, you know, you have this defense, this defense, this defense. But it's like you've never defeated the icon in the, you know, what's going to be probably their highest strong show of the year. And it really put the stamp. I mean, who better if they're going to go all in on Micah? And again, it's head you wins, tails you win. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, but if that's where they're going to go, if they do decide to go all in on Micah, and then, yeah, I would have her have her do, go over Mayu uh, at that show. Very much like they did with Sherry. You know, Sherry finally climbs the hill, beats Utami, um, it, is getting on this really hot streak with this run, and then she runs into Mayu at the uh, night two of World Climax. And it's just like, well, you may be the Red Belt champion, but this is, like, Mayu's on a completely different level. She's been here since day one. Is still in her prime, but arguably the greatest women's wrestler of all time, one of the greatest wrestlers, male or female, of this generation. And then it's like Sherry gets that stamp of approval that whole weekend. You know, a great match with Julia and a phenomenal match with Mayu. And then it's like, okay, we're off to the races with the Sherry run. And they set all sorts of records with Sherry on top as the World of Stardom champion. They literally can just look at that and like, we pretty much can do that with Micah at this point as well. It's like, you know, copy an A, get an A. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. And Mayu has proven, ever since she lost the belt to Utami in uh, 2020, she... Yep. Doesn't she's one people few people that doesn't need a belt to make anything she does feel important. Absolutely. I agree. Even even with the New Japan belt, she uh apparently denied the first request to win it. Yeah, well apparently it was like a money thing because they, they weren't and I think it's fair enough if they're gonna expect her to fly to America a bunch of times, like, yeah, chuck an extra zero on that contract, please. Um and like she's such a big deal and she earned all the respect, you know, she's been with stardom from the very beginning. She clawed her way from being the last of the first generation to win a match to now being the first ever double champion to have done everything she's done in this company. And like everything stardom's gone through the highs and the lows that being able to rely on her, she's been there to keep the ship afloat in 2020 when they lost all the people they did in COVID. If Mayu wasn't there, the situation would have been dire because she was the only established main eventer that they had. And she was able to keep that boat afloat so that Utami could get ready, so that Shuri could be prime, so that Julia could get ready. And now you're seeing the fruits of all that labour. And she's someone that you can literally go, okay, we need a big match. We need someone to get the crowd going. Mayu, do your thing. And she does her thing. And it is, as, as Matt said, she is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, and it's impressive. Like, it is very insane. If you look at her resume and the fact that she's still only 30 years old, mm. And she's done so much Great. in her Great. career. Yeah. 
Oh, and I mean, you can make a direct argument that she's the reason why, um, I mean, her and Mercedes uh, were, that was a dream match that people talked about for a long time. I mean, Mercedes, when she, you know, when she was the former Sasha Banks at an interview at Sports Illustrated a handful of years ago, and they're like, you wrestled anybody, everybody. Is there anybody you want to wrestle? And without even taking a breath, she's like, I want to wrestle Mayu. And then we hear that she might be coming over to Japan. It was literally the perfect storm. You don't drop. Just, I mean, that card was amazing. I always say yeah. All-Star Grand Queendom from this past year is as good. I've been watching wrestling since the 80s. As good as any WrestleMania, as good as any uh, Budokan Hall, All Japan show in the 90s, as good as any AEW pay-per-view, as good as any Wrestle Kingdom. You literally can put that show up with, with anyone. But it does not get the draw, especially over here in North America and the States. It doesn't get the eyeballs to it if you don't have Mercedes Monet on it. And she literally had her hand-picked opponent that she said about four years ago who she has. So you literally can say Mayu is the biggest one-match draw in the history of this company. You don't do over 5,000 people or whatever they did in the Budokan Hall without that match. Again, no disrespect, because that whole entire card was just like a cheat code. It really was just unbelievable from Shiri and Hashimoto to Tam and uh, Julia. And my favorite match of the show was Sai and Mina. And, but that match was the one that everybody had their eyes on. So it's just like, not only is she just great in the ring, she's a proven draw for the company. And that anybody that you get any big star from, from that has been on national TV, whether it be AEW or WWE, that wants to maybe dip their toe in Japan, everybody wants to wrestle Mayu because they're not going to get a match like that because there's no other wrestler. No disrespect to the Becky Lynch's and the Bailey's and the Charlotte's. There's no wrestler like Mayu. She's literally once in a generation talent. And, and we're just lucky to be watching her and like not only watching her, but watching her in her prime. Cause you're right. Like she is only 30 and we don't know when she's going to retire. Like she's made overtures several times. Um, but it also kind of felt like uh, you, you can't get a solid grasp on what Mayu's actually thinking. Um, so like every year that she keeps coming out there and delivering amazing performance after amazing performance. So last year, I thought she was one of the best wrestlers in stardom and they gave her practically nothing to do. It's just you get a glimmer of uh, potential and she takes it with both hands and puts on something amazing. And this year she's been given a few more chances. Yeah, with the Mercedes match, she's had the IWGP women's title. So she got to face Utami. She got to face Stephanie Vakir. And, like, yeah, even in the five-star Grand Prix, you're constantly reminded she might not be in the main event every single month. Like, she's kind of a break glass in case of emergency situation. But you can rely on her to just be amazing. You look at that run, her second run with the World of Stardom Championship that started with her, with B Priestley, and then ended with her and Utami. You wonder how good that run would have been had there not been COVID. Because how, oh, many, I mean, how many shows were shut down? She, every match was a banger. And I think B. Priestley's red belt run is very underrated. But you go from B. Priestley to Takumi Aroha, the Momo match, uh, the Shuri match. There's so many great matches in that run. And I believe it's only five successful title defenses. So then you tack on the match, he wins the belt, and the match, he loses the belt. So I think it's only seven matches. But like when you, if you look at a cage match or you look at, we actually did a review on Patreon for, the, uh, for that run. But you look at it and you're just like, Man, there's some gaps here because of COVID, understandably so. Mm. The world was shut down. And maybe we had a fast forward to you, Tommy. Maybe we were waiting for the next year. I don't know. But you know there could have been two, maybe three other defenses in that run. So it's like as great as that run was, 
if you were to get two or three matches like she was having again with Takumi, with Momo at the ninth anniversary show, show so on so forth, the Kigetsu, uh, so forth, so on. Um, I mean, this would have been a run right up there with EO's V14. I mean, just really phenomenal stuff of Mayu. I mean, all you have to do is look at who was probably going to be her next opponent. The first round of the Cinderella tournament, her and Hanakamura, double elimination. That is almost guaranteed to be leading to uh, Mayu Watani versus Hanakamura, who was, you know, we talk about like Micah being hot and sort of drawing all the attention. That was Hanakamura in 2019, early 2020. No one was bigger in wrestling than her in that respect. And they were going to build to that match. Who Hana, who had um, really started to find herself as a wrestler and had definitely found herself as a character, that would have been one of the biggest matches Stardom would have been able to run in years. Um, unfortunately, we never got to see it, but that just gives you an idea of what we were missing. Or, you know, finally getting Mayu Watani versus Arisa Hoshiki. We had not seen that since their first run back in 2011 when they were both rookies and Arisa was 16 years old. Like, that match would have blown the roof off. Um, and the fact that we missed all these huge momental matches because of COVID and because of other situations arising... The fact that we still got a reign as incredible as that um, speaks wonders to how good she did. Um, and just it makes you appreciate how important that reign was to keep stardom stable during arguably their most difficult period, at the very least most difficult period since early 2015. We're down in Australia and I'm over here in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania. You literally, literally, you started talking about what her and Julie would have looked like. And I was like, when he gets done talking, I want to talk about what her and Arissa would look like. And you're right there, brother. Yeah. Can you imagine if, again, if you were two or three title defenses uh, short of this run, if those obviously with the tragic pass- passing of Hana and then, you know, Arissa retiring due to injury, and then you throw COVID in, you wonder if those were going to be two of the title matches she would have had. And boy, howdy, that would have been something. My brings us together across the globe. <laughs> Isn't it She's the gift that keeps on giving. It is the holiday season, gentlemen. <laughs> Mayu <much>. claws. <laughs> yeah, but there's that photo of the big four that could have been in Stardom. Mm. And it's still like, it kind of stings to look back on to this day of seeing all those people lined up like that. And it's like, we were really robbed of a lot of potential, potentially great stuff that could have come out of that. It's incredible they were able to pivot the way they did because obviously you had the two big stories of Hanukkah and Julia and Tam Nakano and Arisa Hashiki. They were going to be stories that formed all four of their careers moving forward. The fact they were able to pivot when they lost half of that uh, equation and do Julia and Tam and like what we've got from that and what we continue to get from that has just continued to make both of their careers in such a unique way. It's crazy to think what we missed out on and we missed out on a lot, unfortunately. But again, how they've pivoted. We talk about stardom, how they pivot when their backs are against the wall. This was another example. And Tam versus Julia feels like it was always meant to be, like a marriage made in heaven. For hell, oh, yeah, for they, hell violence. They still hate each other to this day. Oh, yeah. Let's move along from the five-star. Let's talk about all the news that's been coming out of stardom. There's been a lot in the past few months. Let's start off with Rossi's frustration with management. He was very, very frustrated with the lack of communication between him, uh, Bushiroad Fight, and himself. It's it's always True. like one of these things where you get the behind-the-scenes stuff. And it's it's one of those things like I don't want to hear it, and I kind of do. It's kind of like the little gossipy high school stuff. It's like, oh, what's going on over there? Did you hear about Rossi? Did you hear about Takagi kind of thing? 
I all I can say is I feel bad for the guy and really the, the women in the locker room having to work in an environment that clearly there's there's been some issues. There's been a lot of uh, things affecting the uh, the vibes of that locker room. Um, I, I feel because Rossi's he's got a, a legacy of a career, a Hall of Fame career proving how to make women's wrestling succeed at its highest level. And it must be frustrating to maybe lose some of that input, some of that power. Um, and hopefully as management kind of changing things around, they maybe lean on him and go, hey, you know what you're doing. You know, what do you think about this? How can we make this the best product it can possibly be? I think they let him kind of just maybe be in charge a little bit more. I mean, he's been booking. Mm. What was it? I mean, Trent, you know better than me because I'm, I'm – so outside of stardom, my Joshi is uh, mediocre at best. But was he, was he booking All Japan Women's? Yeah, he was one of the main people involved in booking All Japan Women's during its uh, its heyday, during its peak era. He he managed the Crush Gals. He was a big part of them being as big as they were. And then when he left All Japan Women's and All Japan Women's started to crumble after he left, he went on and uh, worked with Arceon, who were one of the better positioned uh women's wrestling companies in the aftermath of that golden era and then when he left they struggled as well so not to say he's got the Midas touch and makes everything work um but he has the reputation he has the history to say hey yeah he, he knows what he's doing it's not just a fluke with this stardom thing he's got decades of proof that he, he can run these companies and he can give them the best possible situation it seems like per the report Again, it's all gossip. It's hearsay. None of us mm. have been not there. And I don't like doing the false reporting or this, that, and the other thing, or the stooge or this or that. But just kind of just kind of answer your question, my friend, that you asked. It's, if this is, you know, half truth or somewhat truth or, or whatever, it just seems like Rossi's a, maybe a little bit more laid back. It was like, I have this idea. They don't want to go for it. No problem. Or now it's like, we did make mention because there was a show that happened just a few days ago. Where drew like 114 people and Rossi pretty much came out and was like, that's it. Like, I'm coming over, I'm taking back over the reins and we're going to write this ship and get it back to where we need to go. And all the Stardom fans were like, well, yeah, we know because Dream Queendom, you're giving us Micah versus Suzu, Soriano versus Mirai, which we saw a few weeks ago and it was an instant classic. And then you're giving us Momo and Tora versus Sai and Utami. But yeah, we know, we're, 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 we're good. But it really seems like he's going to be kind of back in charge a little bit more. Again, as Trent said, what he's doing with Arceon, All Japan Women's, and then obviously, you know, Stardom has been a fantastic company, you know, that's been around roughly 13 years, especially what Stardom's been able to do after the COVID period. Even before that, like, you know, just what he's done with with EO and Kyrie in 2015, 16, 17, uh, you know, then Mayu, and then 2019, you have, you know, Momo and Orissa and, and Julia and Hanan, and then it's like you have the COVID, and again, they still the, the, did the best they could with it. And then you look at just like 2021 and 2022, absolutely fantastic. And again, 2023, there was a little some disconnects with the booking and some uh, obviously with the injuries. But you look on some of the shows. I mean, you look at that Supreme Fight, their anniversary show back in February. You look at the finals of the Triangle Derby. That show was just fantastic. And then it's like, how are you going to one-up that? We're going to give you All-Star Grand Queendom. So it really seems like Rossi knows what he's doing. He has the talent behind him. Again, in my opinion, the most talented roster in all of wrestling, bar none. And just let him go. Let him go. Let him do his thing. It looks like he's booked a show or two that's been successful. <laughs> just, a, just a couple here or there. <laughs> Maybe three. <laughs> oh, 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 you're being generous there, I think. <laughs>
Yeah, and then some of the roster was also being outspoken about the amount of gimmick matches they run per year. So we'll see how that goes. As well as Julia's impending free agency. Seems Julia, I think, that. was the big one there because she pretty much flat out said, Rossi cares about us. Like, it, it, all her complaints about, like, what was going on behind the scenes and the, the management and stuff. And at the end, she made a very big point to say, Rossi cares about us. Rossi gives a damn. And I think that's very important because some people who maybe don't follow stardom, they look at the situation where he's running a women's promotion and, you know, some of them are underage or growing up. And there are some side eyes thrown through. Um, but it is clear that Rossi is there as a businessman. He wants this promotion to succeed and he wants the women involved to succeed. And the fact that Julia can sort of point out, no, he, he, he knows what he's doing and he cares about us. Um, hopefully that kind of is, you know, Julia's in the perfect position because if, if Bushiro don't pick, pick their game up, she can just leave. Yeah, she doesn't have to stick around and deal with this. Uh, and she's a big enough deal that they kind of, if you know, they're not just going to let her leave without a fight. They want to keep her. So she can kind of say, hey, we need to change things around here. We need to be trusting in the likes of Rossi uh, and start listening to what he has to say and start listening to what the talent have to say. And in all fairness, the new guy that's coming in, he's saying all the right things, uh, you know, sort of looking to pare back some of the shows, not run major pay-per-views in the middle of tournaments, stuff like that. Um, so between hearing that and Rossi sort of saying, yeah, things need to change, high-end talent like Julia saying things need to change, uh, hopefully 2024, yeah, 2023 wasn't a horrible year. It was, it was a mixed bag, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, but if 2024 can learn from those mistakes and get back in form uh, with everything going on, that's really exciting because, you know, as you've been saying, uh, Matt, this is the best roster in wrestling and it's only getting stronger because there's so many people up on the rise. Yeah, between coming back from injury and then you just look at how many people have improved. I, I say it all the time, Yuna Mizumori is the most improved wrestler in all of wrestling. Uh, mm. I mean... You look at uh, Han just every time we see her, and we know that she's going to be a big. So we've known it for the last, you know, since she was 14, 15 years old. You see that, you know, Azumi, it's like it's about time, you know, Azumi to get in that main event spot. She's just fantastic. You look at the rookies like Hanako, Yuzuki, who's had like oh, five yeah. or six matches. She's fantastic. Aya Sakura, I know, has been out for injury. I was a big fan of her. So it's just like, and then now you're starting to get the roster healthy. Again, we have Mayu coming back at the end of the year. Aphrodite's been back for just a few shows and everybody going absolutely ballistic that that they're back. Uh, it's only a matter of time before Natsupoy comes back. I think Tam is going to eventually uh, come back. I think it's going to be one of those things where she's going to miss everything that's going on in wrestling. And Tam, let's call it like we see if she likes being in the spotlight and she's not going to get that <laughs> anywhere else other than wrestling. Like she's going to want to be able to do her Meltier stuff and she's going to want to be able to still do the wrestling. So I think it's a, a it's going to be only a matter of time where it's just like, you know, she's probably between her knee injury and just being burnt out. I mean, that her 2020, her that run, that year chase she had to chase Julia for that wipeout, which just took a lot out of her, you know, mentally and physically. And then they go to Budokan, just have the absolute banger of a match. And then you put on top of that, then you have, you know, her not supporter doing the Meltier stuff and doing the press conferences company so then she gets injured and i think you copy that where she just might be burnt out so it's just a matter of time before tam comes back but yeah we're literally it's the perfect storm where it's like we've taken as us stardom fans we've taken a lot of bumps here which is everybody getting injured but we've seen so many people step up and be better tecla 
Tecla's came fantastic. And the way she interacts with the crowd, especially when she does like that spider uh, superplex where she does the superplex, but she hangs on and then she sits up and then she looks at the two corners of the crowd that she's at and she gets them to a fever pitch and then she hits a dive or a, or a body splash. Like Tecla's another one that's improved, which just goes again, shows the depth of the roster. Where it's like, okay, we have, we have Saya hurt. We have Utami hurt. Mayu's out. Natsupoy's out. Tam's out. The only, if I'm an undercard wrestler on that roster, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to work three times as hard because I know we usually, I'm throwing out a number here. I know, I know we usually put 800 people in this place. We only have 500 because we lost all these people. However, I'm going to make sure these 500 people, when they left, they were like, yeah, Mike was great. And Suzu Suzuki was great because they're all fantastic. And Suzuki's great because Suzuki never takes a day off. But I tell you what, that Yuna Mizumori, she really showed out here. And that's going to be one to watch out for. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to 2024 because we're get, we're starting to get the roster healthy, and the fact that these you have these rookies and these other wrestlers that have been on the lower mid card for the last year, two years that are really starting to improve that we're now looking at in a different light because you know they're not overshadowed by the Tams and the Sais and the Utami's. I think it's going to be a phenomenal year as, as long you know again, especially if they're just like we're going to let go, we're going to give Rossi more of the booking. Um, I think it's going to be a phenomenal year for stardom. Plus, again, the end, I know we've talked about it, beat it to death. The person going into this, into 2024 with the World of Stardom champion has a lot to prove because they've never been there before. And mm-hmm. I don't think any of us have any doubt that Suzu or Micah, whoever they go with, is not going to completely knock it out of the park for two main reasons. Number one, both of them are phenomenal wrestlers. Number two, there's a million, not a million people, there's about a dozen wrestlers they can work with on that roster and the main event level that they're going to put on banger matches. So, um, But going back to the whole Julia thing, I think if Julia stays, it's because, uh, yeah, again, she's in a great position. I From what I understand, she's making more money than somebody would on an NXT contract. When, her, when it's time to renegotiate that contract, whether she stays with Stardom or she goes over the WWE, if she decides I'm going to stay with Stardom, one, it's going to be because she's working so well with Rossi, and she trusts Rossi more than she would a Triple H, a Vince McMahon, a Shawn Michaels, so on and so forth, whoever's booking at the time. But she's going to ask for probably double the amount of money she's getting paid, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Bushi Road, if they want to keep Julia, they really need to open up the checkbook and open up their wallets and be like, yes, because we're going to put this investment on you. So... Whether she stays or not, I don't know, but I think the main linchpin, I mean, money can only talk so much. I've turned down j- several jobs before in the past that I'd be making more money, but my time and the people that I'm working for, I would rather, I'd rather enjoy that. I'd rather enjoy that. Money can only get you so far. You have to be absolutely happy. And we've, I mean, it's been out there for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years. There were people that worked for WWE making six figures a year that absolutely hated it. Couldn't wait to get out of their contract. Now I know it's a different environment. Look what's on SmackDown. Who's being pushed? Asuka, EO, uh, Kyrie, the, you know, the Josies, Triple H loves the Josies, and rightfully so. They're the best female wrestlers in the world, or maybe just even the best wrestlers in the world. So I don't think Julia would, I think she'd be treated as the star she, that, that, that she is and will become even bigger if she goes over the WWE. But what it really comes down to, in my opinion, is uh, her relationship with Rossi Ogawa. I think that is going to be the linchpin, whether she jump ship to go to the WWE or or she stays in stardom. But at the same time, she can tell stardom, I only want to sign a one-year deal and then go with WWE. And I know WWE deals, they're mostly, from what I was told from my friends that used to work there, they're mostly three-year deals. But she can, she can negotiate, you know, I want a one-year deal or I want a three-year deal with a one-year deal to opt out. And she may go over there for a year 
and then come back over here to start him. Julia's very young too. There's no reason why we can't see her back or we can't see her in WWE in two or three years. There's a chance that she can probably do both in the next five or six years. The leverage is all in her court. And as someone who would rather see talent succeed than companies per se, that's what you want to see. You know, she, she has the ability to stay with stardom. She has the ability to go to WWE. She make lots of money either way. I don't think money is going to be that big a concern because she's getting paid either way. It just comes down to does she want to make women's wrestling in Japan bigger and better? Does she want to prove that she can succeed anywhere in the world? Um, the reality is we don't know. That's going to be her call. Uh, and whatever decision she makes is going to ultimately be for the best for her and that's good. Because that's how it should be. You shouldn't. Companies shouldn't be dictating to the talent in this situation. Talent should be dictating to the companies, especially someone who has proven herself the way Julia has for years now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to see that she's going to have the leverage, and rightfully so. Because at the end of the day, who's the one that's doing the drives, getting on the bus, getting on the planes, taking the bumps, shoot headbutt, shoot headbutting poor Tam Nakano at a press conference? It's Julia. She's the. It's the talent is the one that's putting the abuse on the body, so she should be able to want tell him how many zeros to put on that check, and rightfully so. And it makes me really happy to see that she's going to have that leverage when it comes down to it. She's throwing shoot headbutts in six woman tag matches in Yamagata. <laughs> she doesn't go easy. <laughs> Yeah, very much like Hazuki. That's why we put over Hazuki as much as we do. <laughs> uh, seriously, 2024, we need more Hazuki main events and big match situations because she's someone who continues to prove that, you know, she's ready, she's been ready for a while and the crowd is ready for her as well. I'm going to throw this at you real quick, Trent, because maybe this is what I'm thinking. And again, I don't have a favorite wrestler in wrestling. I don't. I favor my friends that are in the big companies. Obviously, I have a very big tie-in to CM Punk and Samoa Joe, another story for another day. But, like, when it comes down to it, like, if I had one wish for 2024 is for Hazuki to win one of the championships. And probably the Wonder, because that's the one mm. she's been chasing. She's 0-5, and she's had phenomenal matches for that belt, especially with Momo, with Arisa, and the match with Saya uh, early this year is my all-time favorite Wonder of Stardom Championship match, which is saying a lot for how great those matches are. So you're kind of looking like, how come they haven't pulled the trigger on her yet to win one of those belts? And Trent, I'm going to throw this at you because you're a longtime Stardom fan. Do you mm-hmm. think she still has to prove herself? Because when she retired in 2019, when she cut the promo that says, I love a widow tie, but I hate Stardom. I think there's probably a little bit of hesitation maybe on the management's front because she did leave and that was a situation where like she is leaving when in a time when Sutton probably did need that extra talent and ability and she did also technically leave in 2015 as well. So there's maybe a little bit of a history there. I guess the big question is like there's only so many people that can main event, so many people who can be in that position at one time. It's just the question of do they believe she can carry the company in that situation? I personally think she can, um, but I could understand if maybe they're a little hesitant given the fact that if things haven't gone perfectly, maybe she's had one eye on the door. Uh, I hope that doesn't hold her back because I think, you know, she's proven over these past couple of years, she's putting in the hard work um, and she's, she seems happier as well. Like I know Oedo ties a heel faction. They're kind of meant to be a bit grumpier and a bit more heelish, but like she seems in a much better place teaming with Kogama, teaming with stars, doing her thing there. I, I think this is the best time that you can pull the trigger on her. So I do hope we get to see it. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe there's a little bit of hesitancy because of what's happened in the past. Yeah, she's just so good. And everybody just 
She doesn't take a day off. She always has one of the best, if not one of the best matches on the show. Uh, she puts everything mm. into everything. And that's it's like, yeah, again, if I, if I had one wish in 2024, other than for as many wrestlers to stay healthy uh, as possible, which is what you want to wish for, it was for Hazuki to win one of the major championships uh, in stardom because she's just so good. If Sariano ends up defeating Mirai for the championship, that'll be a first ever matchup. Even in her previous time at Stardom, they had never wrestled one-on-one before. Only in tag matches. Fresh matchup. Fresh that's matchup. I think a lot of us are waiting for that big Mina run that she was kind of robbed from, from as well. But that's what's great with the Wonder Run. It's like Mariah is doing so great with that championship that it's like, yeah, if they want to have her hold it until Dream Queendom or another five, six months, fantastic. If Soryanu wins uh, at the end of the month, I think that we're all in agreement that, like, okay, she put pen to paper. She's full-time to start him. Because I just don't think Rossi or anybody from Bushi Road would put one of their main two championships on somebody that's only part-time. So it's like you can go that way, and a lot of us want to see Mina get that, that, especially for her chasing that belt the way she did for that impromptu promo she had after she got injured uh, in the match with Sai Kamatani in the fall of last year, and then just to come back, go on the run, win the Wonder of Stardom Championship at the biggest and best show Stardom ever did, and then she drops it like some two months later. So it's like that's, you know, a lot of people want to see the Sori run. They want to see the Mariah have a longer run. They want to see Mina get that run. And a lot of people are just like waiting for Hazuki because Natsu Boy showed out this year as well. Again, there's so many scenarios where it's like heads you win, tails you win, and that just goes to show just how how depth the roster is in Stardom. I almost feel a little bad for Rossi having to book with all this talent because it's literally like, who do you put in this situation? Who are you lifting up? Who are you having to push down the card to make room for the people in the front? Because as you were saying earlier, so many people have stepped up. You know, Yuna Mizumori stepped up, as you said. My Sakurai's uh, landed onto the best gimmick in stardom. You've got someone like Saya Ida, who in the second half of this year has turned it back up into peak form and is looking as better than ever. Uh, what do you do? Like, it's literally an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you look at um, Saya's, Saya's title reign. It literally went from year to year, and she even kept it for a little bit more. So that was like, it's, that's not normal in stardom. You're someone to hold it that long. Yeah, I mean, she literally, she's written in the record book. She is the number one world of stardom, a uh, wonder of stardom champion in that respect. Mm-hmm. And then her goal was to beat Momo's reign, and she, she did just that. Yep. Tony Storm are tied. Tony Storm with the SWA belt are tied for uh, 15 with the most consecutive uh, successful title defenses in one run. She uh, she eclipsed EO on the V14, and it's always a it's a, always a question. Is like not only my again wrestling subjective. You can like what you like, but like not only is Sai, in my opinion, the greatest Wonder of Stardom champion, she might be the greatest champion in the history of the company. It's either Sai's run or EO's second run, that V14, which which I don't know. And I'm going to give a quick plug. We were literally doing a roundtable discussion in a week or two with me, Scott, and uh, Rob, of course, of what run was better, EO's V14 or Saya's V15. And just like, again, that's another one, heads you win, tails you win, because it's, it's tough to discuss. But you go back and watch some of those matches Saya had. It's just like absolutely mind-blowing. And then a lot of those pay-per-views, and then you had a Sherry main event afterwards, and then on the undercard, you probably had an Azumi high-speed run. So that 2022 year of stardom, I say it all the time. You can put it up with 96, uh, excuse me, 94 All Japan. You can put it up with 06 Ring of Honor. And you can put it up there with 2016, 2017 New Japan as uh, one of the greatest single years ever in wrestling from one company. 
And now she's come out with Vitami and says she wants to be uh, Thunder Rock's uh, tag reign. So she's she's coming for EO in every respect. And it's exciting <laughs> because I would be down for Aphrodite having a tag reign of that kind of length and significance and impact. Especially if uh, if Suzu doesn't. And here's one thing, if you know, for the Suzu fans out there, if Suzu loses, takes the L, I would love to, even if Suzu gets the win, how awesome would a crazy star versus Aphrodite tag match look? Again, we ran down the teams that are in stardom right now. And when they get healthy in 2024, what that Aphrodite tag run could look like. It could be a four-month run, depending on who they want to main event uh in uh in uh, yokohama it can be a six month run it can be an eight run eight month run heck i grew up in the 80s where these tag teams were tag teams forever you know the rock and roll express are still teaming now they started teaming when i was first born they're still working the indies um i'm all for like a two-year run with these two i really really am because they're young enough where they can give them that run and then like ah, in 2026 we you know we'll have saya have a run we would love to see utami have a proper run with that world of stardom championship and what i mean by proper not that her run wasn't fantastic but majority of that run was during covid where you weren't having full buildings you weren't having a full cork and hall you weren't having a hot cork and hall uh crowd so we love especially I this version of utami yeah, exactly. Like it was, just, you know, it, it, I mean, she had, again, great matches with, you know, with Micah, with um, obviously the match she won the belt with Mayu was fantastic. The mm-hmm. matches with Shuri were tremendous. The very good match that nobody talks about on the undercard of the, the Budokan Hall show with um, against Saya Kamatani. And look how much she's grown. So it's like, you again, there's a bunch of different ways they can go. But again, as a huge fan of Queen's Quest, I say they're the greatest working faction since the horsemen in the mid eighties, the four horsemen in the mid eighties is a huge fan of Queen's Quest. I'm down for like an eight to ten month uh, Aphrodite tag run. Just in time to I uh, drop it for one of them to win the five star Grand Prix. Oh, there it is. Well, you remember Tam? Uh, Tam was the uh, going into the finals was one half of the Goddess of Stardom t- uh, tag champs in last year's five star with Natsupoi. So, and here's something else too. A lot of us had pegged Utami versus Saya. In the finals of this year's five star, what if the finals is Aphrodite as the tag champs going into the finals? That that just elevates your tag division before the bell even rings. So you're just looking at this. If you're a new Stardom fan and you guys know that there's new Stardom fans all the time, it just goes to show the growth of the company. If you're a new Stardom fan, you're watching this tournament and you're like, you're telling me the best wrestler in the blue block is one half of the tag champs. And the other half tag champs is the best wrestler in the red block. That's how good the tag division is, is that you have your two tag champs in the finals of your big tournament. And then they, you know, that Sai and Utami would just absolutely blow it out of the water. That's a great way to build up your tag division by having the two of them in the finals of next year's five star with the goddess belts. Definitely. And 2024 is going to be a big return to form for both of them. Absolutely. They, they've, they've, they've told the story, they've gone through the hardship, and now they can focus on delivering the, the absolute peak of them. Because, yeah, Utami, during that Red Belt run, she was finding herself a bit, she was learning her character. Yeah, they, they put her in a, basically, they put her in a position a step above where she was at the time and basically said, prove yourself, jump up a step now that you're champion. And she did that. But what's exciting, it's been a couple of years since then, uh, she's become such a far more compelling character, learnt that character work so much more uh, and now coming in potentially for another Red Belt run in a year's time or so, we're going to see, again, because she's so young still, like there's still so much potential to do something great there. 
Again, embarrassment of riches. So many options they can go down. So many people they can put into a championship position and it's going to result in great things. Uh, it's just a matter of which way Rossi wants to go and hopefully he's listening to this podcast because we've got some great ideas. Yeah, damn right, Rossi. Listen to us. Also, sign Diana Peraza. <laughs> I'd love to see her in Stardom in 2024. She's, she's open right now. Yeah, yeah. I did meet her at the uh, New Japan uh, first, uh, the New Japan crossover show where she had that four-way with Julie because it was in Philly. And I literally, as I was leaving, she was signing autographs. And I, I was like, hey, what was it like with Julie? And it was like, for someone that's a, a pro wrestler, one of the best women's wrestlers, in North America, she like just blew up. Was just like, I want to wrestle her one on one. I don't care where I need to go, where I need to do. So that could be a linchpin as well. Is if Julia stays, we may get the Julia versus Diana Peraza match like in Cork and Hall in like March. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. That's insane. And, and as you're saying right now, it's pretty cool to think about that like, even other professionals are starstruck by Julia. Mm. Yeah, somebody who's that I don't watch Impact as much as I should just because there's only 24 hours in a day and I with stardom WWE and AEW New Japan and uh, catch the occasional Noah and all Japan show there's just not enough time but you look at that women's division for uh, for Impact it's just loaded and again I think Diano is right up top there and the fact that uh, they want to resign her and she's like no I want to explore my other options maybe she wants to dip her toe to see maybe if uh you know, Mr. Uh, Triple H will, will will sign or won't sign her because he's doing some really great stuff with the uh, the women's division if she goes back over to WWE. Maybe she's just like, maybe I'll just do six months, eight months over in stardom and then maybe come back to Impact where I'll become a bigger star and I'll be worth more value. I'm fine with that as well, but she's a phenomenal wrestler. and We can literally take her and just book her through the entire roster and stardom. Like, I want to see Hanan. I want to see Saida. I want to see Julia. I want to see Utami. I want to see Hanako. I want to see Aya Sakura, Momokogo. Those are all matches. Starlight Kid, Azumi. Those are all matches that we'd all love to see Diana Prazo do. Maybe that's what she's going to do. That would be great if she pops up sometime in stardom in 2024. She's a free agent now. Maybe we see a video thing at the end of Dream Queendom. I mean, that is a very real possibility that I don't think anybody would say no to. Definitely not. It'll be a it'll be a big draw no matter where it happens. Mm. But as we're as we're alluding to earlier with Aphrodite's goddess reign, Mayu has said that she wants to win tag gold with Hanan. So maybe down the road we can give Hanan that big rub of beating Aphrodite. I think Hanan is perfectly situated to get a championship next year. I actually was wondering, like, before all of the injuries, whether Hanan and Mayu were meant to win the artist titles in the Gold Rush tournament because having her, like, paired up with a couple of the stronger members of Stars, that would have been the perfect opportunity to really lift her up through 2024 because, like, We've been waiting for a year. She's kind of been the ace ascendant. People know that she's the person they're sort of building towards long term. Uh, and this year we've really started to see her graduate into that position. I think every decision she's made from changing her look up, changing her music up, changing some of the way she wrestles has all come through. And like low-key banger of the year, her uh, New Blood match with May Sarah like free on YouTube, if people miss that because maybe they don't watch New Blood, you have to go back and watch that match because it was utterly, utterly fantastic. Uh, and yeah, I think whether it's a tag run with Mayu, whether it's an artist run with Mayu and maybe Kogama or Hazuki, I think 2024 is the year they pull the switch and give Hanan her first big championship moment. Not to disrespect the New Blood tag title that she has currently, but a main roster belt championship. Yeah. 
when my face lit up when he mentioned that match because that match was electric. Oh, it was fantastic. And it felt like it came out of nowhere. And it probably did. Well, honestly, <laughs> with how this year has been going, it probably did come out of nowhere. <laughs> true, true. You gentlemen just talked about that match with May Sarah, and we see it with like Azumi, we see it with Tekla, we see it with Starlight Kid, we see it with Natsu Boy. Han can work the high speed style. So obviously May Sarah, she's fantastic. Hopefully she has that belt for a little bit. Again, Han is only 19 years old, so maybe before we get to the white and the red belt, you may see her in a high-speed run. We know that she can work, again, the faster style. A lot of those matches for the future Stardom Championship were only about five or six minutes, and they were all really, really good. Yeah, we all look forward to the five-minute Hanon Classic at the beginning of each show. It was a great way to kick off the pay-per-view. Yeah, exactly. And then she the, the match that went long, the only match that went... Uh, 15 minutes was her best match in that run was that uh, draw with Tomoka Inova, which was fantastic, mm. which there's another. I mean, again, they, you talk about that loaded roster and we see Tomoka coming in and out and even the Inaba sisters working the uh, working the New Blood shows. Give me an Inaba sisters versus Aphrodite tag title match in Cork and Hall. Like, get, ha, let them go 23, 24 minutes. Uh, I would, that's another, you know, I, we, I mentioned a little bit ago, Rossi, please sign Soriano to a full-time contract. I would love to see. Obviously, um, uh, the younger end of a sister, uh, I think she's only 15 years old, so she's probably still yeah, in school. Azusa. Yeah, Asusa. Yeah, Asusa. Hey, that doesn't she's stop at... Rossi. That's true. Like I mean, look at Hina, Rina, Hana. That's right. Yeah. Momo Watanabe was getting... parading her uh, championship belt around in high school when she had it. She's only split. Yeah, she don't survive for that belt. She was barely 18 at the time. Yeah, you brother, you got a point. You made an event in Cork and Hall, then EO leaves, and like, not only are you the Wonder Champion, this faction I formed, uh, Queen's Quest, it's yours. Like, no pressure. <laughs> as you're, but have fun at your high school graduation next week, kid. You know, like, geez, what pressure that is. Um, and 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 you see them, they they come through clutch. I mean, what what Momo did as a leader of Queen's Quest in three years. And then, uh, you know, the match that I say was booked by Shawn Michaels because it broke my heart when she left, uh, you know, betrayed Queen's Quest and went to a Wedo tie. But yeah, I mean, with Hanan, you can literally do everything, but I would like to see her go through the steps. I would like to see mm-hmm. her get a high-speed championship run. You can do the, the goddess run with Mayu, and you can even flip them. I mean, we, we saw in 2022 with uh, Momo and Starlight Kid and uh, FWC, they flipped the belts back and forth. You could even do that. You know, have Mayu and Hanan have a two-month run and then flip them back to Aphrodite uh, after the five-star, depending on what you're doing for next year's uh, big year-end show for Jim Queendom 4. So, and then, yeah, the artist. I mean, you can, I mean, it doesn't matter who you put. You have Hanan, Saya, Hazuki, Kagama. I love just, you know, Momo Kogo. Loved just the huge fan of Momo Kogo. She's another one that's improved so much over these last five or six months. I know she's been out with an injury. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can literally do anything really with Hanan. She is uh, kind of a, a full deck and really just really anything that you can do and anything that she touches is gold. But I have a feeling in five or six years, we're going to be talking about Han as one of the best wrestlers in wrestling, very much like we do with Mayu. Absolutely. Momo Kogo needs to wrestle full-time in America because she gets like a plus five stat boost whenever she has a match over there. It feels like she's a completely different wrestler in America. She likes the Lucha style more. Mm. Kind of, if you, if you look at it, she likes to do Lucha a lot more. So when she's over here, I guess it's more open for her to do than in stardom. Whatever it is, it works. <laughs> and plus she speaks English, so she gets over. Yeah, her English is really good. 
I know again when I was at that show in Philly where it was uh, it was the four way with Giselle Shaw, Diana, uh, Julian, Momo Kogo, that the people that were in front of me at that show were going ballistic for Momo Kogo. There was like five or six people that they reacted bigger for Momo Kogo than they did Julia and Tanahashi. And I was like, oh, okay. Like they had the shirts, they had the towels, like the whole night. I'm like, good for Momo Kogo. Yeah, he gets a good reaction over here in the states. And even when they they did that uh, four way tournament, or not four way, the two the four lady tournament. Uh, over in LA for the uh, New Japan Strong Championship. She got a huge reaction just on her entrance. I was like, oh, she really doesn't get this much in stardom. So yeah, that's uh that that's something yeah, and that and it helps that she speaks she speaks very good English. By the end of that match with Willow, we were all pulling for Momo. Mm-hmm. There's something very endearing about her and it's very easy to get behind her as a character. She's very much an underdog. Do we know she's out? I know like a lot of the injuries they've reported, but I don't know. Have they reported why Momo's out? She has an ongoing health condition. I think it's Graves' disease, which does affect her ability to wrestle a heavy schedule. And I think it's the kind of thing where she often has to take time off. She might also be nursing other injuries as well. Um, but that is something that will unfortunately affect her career yeah, forever. That's, it's something that's that part of her, uh, why she has such a frail figure is because of mm. that as well. But Trent, as you were saying with the the uh, the artist reign, I remember I was talking to Scott on one of my previous episodes about just that, like it being Hanan, Mayu, and Hazuki being that trio that wins. Yeah, I think there's a lot to go with there because you look at some of the other artist reigns they've done in the past. I think the best example is the Oedo Tai one from last year where you had Momo and Starlight Kid who were both fully established in that kind of position and you made that championship run all about Saki Kashima. It was all about building her up, giving the story to her while having a couple of you know, established people to kind of not carry it, but kind of give you that sort of security. And I think a Hanan situation maybe next year with the artist belt would work in very much the same way. You've got Mai, you've got Hazuki in there to kind of carry the bulk of the load and then you transfer to Hanan to do the story side of things and she can be there in the closing moments of the match where it's kind of you know it's all about whether she can hold on to it um I think New Japan did something similar with uh Yoshihashi and his team with Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroki Goto a couple of years ago as well it's a simple story to tell with a trio thing but it worked incredibly well and it's a great way to build up one member of the team who's just kind of waiting for that next step up that's true. And then uh, for the high-speed belt, I've always wanted just as just to see how it would look, Utami having the high-speed reign. I think that'd be like so odd, yet she could do it. There's a lot of wrestlers there who are deceptively good if the pace picks up. Partly because Azumi forces them to pick the pace up when they mm-hmm. wrestle her. Um, but, like, you just have to look at when Momo Watanabe had her match. And, okay, they threw the match out a little bit at the end because it was part of the story thing. But she was doing a great job keeping up with Azumi. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's fun to see some of these wrestlers forced to wrestle a slightly different style. And sometimes it doesn't work, uh, but sometimes it sort of seems to unlock something special that even if you don't use all the time, uh, you've got it up your back pocket. Yeah, it's true. And like you see it too in, on the reverse side with the high speed wrestlers like Natsupoi and May Serrett, they'll bust out power moves every once in a while. Mm. You have to to compete at the top of the card. And that's really, I think, what a lot of people are looking at Azumi and Starlight Kid. For them to take the next step, 
they need that kind of not necessarily they don't need to be thrown power bombs, but they need a definitive mm. match ending impact move. They both have their roll up pins. Starlight Kid has the uh, moonsault kind of move. She has the uh, tombstone pile driver, but she can't do that to everyone. Uh, both of them just kind of need that kind of impact move, and I think that will move them to the next step up, and that's when they can viably be challenging, like for a white belt. I do love that Azumi doesn't use the the Canadian destroyer as a throwaway move. It's her kill shot. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, when Julia kicked out of it, it mattered. And it feels like that's a move that will finish off probably three-fifths of the roster, and that'll get you five-star Grand Prix wins. But when it's a title match, when it's a semi-main event match, she just needs that something else. She needs the super finisher. And Stardom's great. They have those. Most of the wrestlers at the top have like three tiers of finishers. You know, mm. so Maya Uitani, she'll hit the dragon uh, dragon suplex to finish off the lower card. When the lower card kick out of that, she'll bust out the moonsault. When they kick out of that, the two-stage dragon suplex. Plus she has the, the dragon sleeper the, mm. to put on the smaller members of the roster. And it's all about progression. So even if you lose a title match, if you kick out of... Uh, want the champions you know mid-tier move and they need the super finisher to knock you out that makes you look good even in defeat yeah i mean just keep keeping it right there look at when azumi kicked out of the glorious driver oh it got a massive reaction out of a, a nagoya crowd that was very quiet up to that moment i almost jumped out my seat <laughs> i don't blame you i thought well, maybe they're gonna do this yeah, I started up making reasons in my head why she should win. I was like, it matches her gear. <laughs> she should always win. She's so special. She really is. She's the type of wrestler that if they ever pull the trigger, um, obviously New Japan has that working relationship with AEW, and Tony Khan's been very adamant that he wants to bring stardom in. And if they ever brought, like, one wrestler in, like, if they brought a Zoomy in, you get that in front of a hot, like, Philly, Chicago, Toronto, L.A., Dallas crowd, New York that really know their wrestling and appreciate it, people's minds would be blown because nobody does what Azumi does. And you talked about, like, different wrestlers being able to have to work Azumi's match. I mean, if you go back to last year's five-star Grand Prix with Himika versus Azumi, and I think I remember putting in my notes when I was writing, I'm like, is this the start of Himika's... Uh high-speed championship run because you imagine like him because one of the biggest strongest members of the roster she's working in that style so instead of her throwing those shoulder tackles and clotheslines at 60 miles an hour now she's throwing that at you at 120 miles an hour <laughs> but uh you, you guys mentioned uh touched upon azumi and doing the canadian destroyer like when she does it especially on the bigger members of the roster the micas the himikas are the bigger stronger members she'll hit the canadian destroyer and then go right into the azumi sushi so the psychology of the move is I just bumped you on your neck and now I'm using your size against you to roll you up into my roll-up finish, which works absolutely perfect. And again, I know she wrestled Mike and Himika because they were all in the same block at last year's five-star. And I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, um, I have been wrong before, uh, I'm pretty sure that she beat both Mike and Himika with the Canadian Destroyer into the Izumi Sushi. Again, it makes sense for psychology. But I know a year or two ago, they were building her up with the C4 bomb, you know, the late-captured German suplex. Every mm. now and again, she does it, but I would love to see her start putting people away with it because it's such a cool move. And just speaking on that combination you talked about, that's how she put away Utami and Kurokan Hall as well. Like, it is a, right. it's a proven effective move in that kind of setting. Yeah. 
I like it when they chain big moves together back and forth. Again, you mentioned Mayu. Yeah, there's a lot of times like she'll hit the moonsault. That's what happened with Mercedes. Mayu, uh, mm-hmm. Mercedes kicked out of the moonsault. She's like, okay, well, I already have you down, so now I'm going to put you away with my, you know, my super finisher. And that's one of the things I always loved about All Japan in the 90s is that they everybody had more than one big move. You know, they had a big strike, you know, and a big head bump. And then a lot of them had, like, their nuclear finishes, which we didn't see much, like the burning hammer. But, like, you would hit, like, Kabashi would hit, like, the burning lariat, and they would, they somebody would kick out of it. Like, Vader would kick out of it. Like, oh, that's my big move. And then you go to the top rope and hit that beautiful moonsault where you can chain those moves back-to-back, and Stardom does that as well as any company I've ever seen in wrestling. So, yeah, the fact that most of these wrestlers, they have a roll-up, they have maybe a strike finish, and they may have something off the top rope, and then they have, like, a big, like, kind of, like, head-dump finish um, for, like, the, you know, the wrestlers that are more similar to their size. It just goes to show the the depth of the moveset uh, of Stardom. And then when you're building up matches, championship matches, you have different ways to counter it. I mean, how many times have we seen Momo Watanabe in the last three or four years able to counter, whether it's a BT bomb or really anything, and out of a Samato? Like, it was just like, I think she had a match with Julia. At the, I think this year's five-star. Julia had her up for the Glorious Driver, and somehow Momo Watanabe was able to, to shift her body and hit a, a Samato uh, out of it. So it's just it's really cool when you have those moves and then when you work with somebody as much as a lot of these wrestlers do, it's like, well, how can I counter that and get to one of my big two or three moves? And it just makes the anticipation for the finish so much better because, as you alluded to before, you thought maybe Azumi was going to take it because she started countering some of Julia's moves, and that's just the excitement when it comes to some really, really good wrestling. Indeed. You know they're having a blast on the tour bus going, okay, you do this move and I can do this move and we, we chain this together. Uh, they must be having a blast planning those matches on the bus going from show yeah. to show. And then somebody yeah. in like row four behind them is like, oh, when we wrestle, we'll do this. Well, I'll do this. And then I heard Scott Hall in an interview said, I'll kick out of that move at one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's always something I've adored about Azumi's high speed style is that she's not just high flying. Like, yeah, she'll bust out the uh, double jump uh, plancha but she also does she uses a lot of holds and counter holds in her offense she's she incredibly smart in how she goes about it because you can't like in ultimately wrestling is still a size matters sport um so if you only go with pure speed you're you're gonna hit a brick wall uh but she has really developed her technical game and like what i've loved like for a while there she, you could see it's almost zach saber jr inspired how she'd be moving from submission to submission and getting the the opponent into worse and worse spots and someone with her size and build working that kind of submission game is a really smart direction to go, especially when you overwhelm someone with speed, keep them on the back foot, keep them guessing, and then all of a sudden they're rolled up in an impossible situation. Mm-hmm. And then she's trying to break your arm. Yeah, the Billy Robinson psychology when it comes to submission wrestling, legit submission wrestling, which that's what we're mm. supposed to look at this as if it's a shoot, right? That's what, that's what we're suspending disbelief. Billy Robinson's theory on submission wrestling was you tack the body like a ladder. You go from the leg to the knee to the hip to the wrist to the shoulder. You don't go from the leg to the to the head because you're giving up all that space. And you mentioned Zack Sabre Jr., Trent, which is what made me trigger it because they're, you know, obviously Zack Sabre Jr. is from England and obviously Billy Robinson created the snake pit, you know, over there in Wigan. Or not created it, but was 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 the head coach and then the head coach of the snake pit over in Japan uh, when he moved over to Japan and, uh, you know, trained uh, Sakuraba and uh, uh, Kimura and whatnot. But, um, yeah, that's what it is. And Azumi very much like Zack Sabre Jr., she attacks the body like a ladder. Because if you do not have a submission in the first five or six seconds, you don't have it. But you have a hold, and you can transition to something else. And, yeah, nobody does that better than Zack Sabre Jr. 
but Azumi is right there with them when it comes to that. She does a great job building to the arm, and sometimes she will... I love it how she, like, build to the arm, take the leg out to get to the arm, and then her opponent will get some heat on her. She'll do something crazy on the outside, and then she'll hit the double stomp to the arm and then <laughs> go off the opposite side of the turnbuckle so everybody else on the other side of the building can watch her do the double stomp to the solar plexus. She'll go to cover, won't hook the leg, which drives me crazy, but I understand why she doesn't hook the leg, so she gets a pass. She won't hook the leg, so when the opponent kicks out, when she kicks out, they feed the arm. She gets wrist control, puts her back to her opponent's back, and then locks in the Fujiwara armbar. So it's like, I went to the arm, I went to the leg, I went back to the arm. I did the double stomp knowing you're going to kick out, and I didn't hook the leg. But when you kick out, you're going to have to kick out so high that you're throwing me the arm, and now I have your wrist and your arm, and it goes in the Fujiwara. So she just layers of psychology. Add that in with the fact that she's, like, so flawless in the ring. She's a great seller. She's fantastic striker. I mean, she's such an underrated mm. striker. And we saw in that Julia match. Julia brought something completely out of her. Azumi's mouth was busted open in that match. And Julia was, our, and Azumi was throwing some brutal head kicks. You mix that in with the high-speed thing, high-speed stuff. And the fact that Azumi's, like, what, 21, 22? I mean, she's just another one that's just, uh, just an absolutely fantastic wrestler. And, again... If I'm AEW and I'm like, hey, I need one rep, one of your, or just even a match. I need a match to put on this Forbidden Door show in front of 15,000 people in Chicago. Rossi, what do you have for me? You can have Zumi versus Starlight Kid for 11 minutes and watch people's minds melt. It, it was no mistake that when Mercedes Monet defended the IWGP Women's Championship on a New Japan show in Japan, Azumi was the first person they went to. Yeah, she kept up too. And Hazuki. So see, not only was a high speed, it was high speed violence. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Hazuki's great at that as well. She was and a high she speed. Was champion. By, she was handpicked by Mercedes too. Yeah. Mercedes has good taste, apparently. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, was, um, Hazuki basically was the one that set that in, like those high speed matches that were like five or six minutes. Like her whole entire run was like that. Yeah, she, she kind of revolutionized it a bit because beforehand you still had the higher paced nature to it. But it felt like she set the ground rules of the modern high speed. Um, not everything kept. You don't have to have you don't have to have abs anymore uh, just to do the high speed rule like she had. Um, but yeah, she she really sort of found that groove that I think high speed wrestling has benefited from. I think it might have the match she won the high speed championship, or it was early on in her reign where she attempted the shooting star press. And she bailed out halfway. Did you ever see that? Yes, I did. And uh, I think she tried it one or two other times. And it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, maybe this works in training. But with the extra pressure, maybe a bit of extra sweat on the ropes, being a bit more tired from wrestling, maybe just asking a bit too much. And I'm glad she stopped doing it. Because yeah, it had a really bad finale for her, her, her opponent. So it's something she just adopted mm. the bombs away, beautiful top rope sent on. And then she just picks you up and drops you on your head with a brain buster. So I was like, yeah, you just go with that, Hazuki. That works for you. It works. <laughs> yeah, her high-speed run was uh, was something else, too. Yeah, because she it was just still wild. Like, you go back in that year, 2019, of just, she had all these great matches. She had the championship match with Kagetsu, the one B Priestley, mm-hmm. and then she's like, no, I'm going to call it a career. And there was, you kind of wonder really what was going on behind It really felt she was on the, the precipice, too. Yeah, of going somewhere. So, like, that's why I asked you before. I was like, I'm... I kind of wonder if that's something you go you go back, but I know there was some sort of heat with her and Jungle Kiona to the point when they did the retirement ceremony that Hazuki slapped Jungle in the face and Jungle just walked walked off. So I was like, I wonder what that was about. Yeah, it's it's hard to judge. Like obviously, there's different personalities. Maybe they didn't connect. 
Um, I, I, I got the impression it was probably Hazuki maybe felt Bushiroad weren't going to see her as a star. Um, and that's good. You know, as soon as Bushiroad sort of was announced, she was like, yeah, okay, I'm gone. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a few other things I obviously could get to leaving as well, maybe at the time, because yeah, Kogama wasn't around then. She felt like, well, my best friend is leaving the company. I don't trust the new direction. Uh, maybe she just wasn't enjoying wrestling at the time. And I thought I'll, you know, get out now. And thankfully, like, the the bridge wasn't burnt, burnt, burnt because she was able to come back and, yeah, I think doing just as good as she was when she left. Rossi's very big on that, that he never burns a bridge because you never know when they're going to come back to do business. I mean, can you look at the look at the, the big return we had just a couple of weeks ago? You would have told me that would ha- was going to happen two years ago or even when Punk was sitting down for five, six years. I'm like, I don't know if he'll ever come back. Maybe he'll come back like when he's like 50 for like a Hall of Fame thing mm. and like mm. maybe sign a Legends deal. But I'm like, he's never going to step foot back in that place. And I was so convinced that even he got fired. And I'm like, he's going to sit out six months. AEW is going to realize that he needs him. Punk's going to realize he misses wrestling because he doesn't need the money, even though he'll get a boatload and he'll come back. I was literally convincing people that he was the devil in the whole angle. Like <laughs> literally, I'm like, here's what they're doing. Like, how do you know that? And I have friends that work there. I'm like, I haven't asked. I'm not the type of person to ask. I was like, yeah. like, who told you? Who? What one of your friends told you? I'm like, I'm just, hey, I'm just telling you, it's Punk's the devil. So then like when Punk came out of Survivor Series, I'm like, oh, he's still the devil. Watch, he's going to come. He's, he's going to do both. He's, <laughs> he's Tony Khan just got, he just signed a $110 million uh, TV deal with TBS. He's literally going to take $20 million of it and give it to WWE when they sue him just so just to pull this angle off. Like, is that really going to happen? I'm like, stop listening to everything that I tell you. <laughs> The, the moment Punk says something uh, that forces a, a litigation in court between the two companies, Tony will be like, you know what, I, I won't take any money from you, but you have to give me Punk for a couple of nights here and there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the money back we've on already seen, <laughs> we've already seen, like, no one is truly barred from wrestling because Yoshiko came back to stardom after everything that happened in 2015. Yeah. yeah. The door will always yeah, remain thing. open just a little bit. Even to a lesser extent, Sawiana coming back was something nobody thought would happen. Yeah. Even Natsupoy, like, had a bit of heat as well before she came back. Mm. Yeah, there was, I, I know when she initially left, like, there was basically claims like, well, she ain't coming back. Oh, how about that? Mm. Learn something new every day. But thankfully, it doesn't matter in the long run because she back, Sayori back. Everyone back. Poor the MVP. Mm. He really was. She had a hell of a run. She needs the white belt next year. Like, I know we're putting the white belt on, like, 15 different wrestlers on this podcast. <laughs> but up, she, she should be. <laughs> she she earned it. She's, she's oh, yeah. earned that right. Just like Micah's earned that right to be red belt champion if she does mm. get it. She's definitely earned that right to be called red belt champion. Absolutely. It's going to be like um, when TNA and WWE traded Christian and Ric Flair for a night. They I get punk. That happened. They get punk. They get Edge back for one day. <laughs> what would you run Edge one final match in WWE? Who's, who's there right now? I'm not sure. I'm not a big WWE you gotta, guy. You got to use it to get somebody, somebody over. Probably, I mean, get somebody to that next, next level. So Roman Reigns is what you're saying? Uh, Gunther would be a good one. 
Gunther would Gunther be a good would be one. Good. Ilya Dragunov, because I know they're. I mean, he's getting that. He's getting that rubbed down in NXT. But you know, my go-to answer, and I get asked this a lot. My go-to answer is like, who's who's going to beat Roman for the title? Anytime somebody asks me a WWE question, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And you're asking me right now, Trent. You're asking me who if they brought Edge back for one match, he's got to put somebody over to get them over. My same, it's going to be the same answer. Io Shirai. Io beats Roman for the title. Io's my go-to answer for everything. Io should win the men's Royal Rumble, wins the women's Royal Rumble. My go-to for everything is Io Shirai. Well, we got to get that Kari Brock Lesnar match. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Remember how long she was chasing that NXT championship, though? That was, oh, yeah. that was a ride. Mr. McCrub. <laughs> As she should. But yeah, but let's get back on track here. As we were talking mm-hmm. about, uh, since we're on the topic of psychology and the likes, um, I wanted to give another example of Momo when she beat Julia in the five-star hall when she hit the Peach Sunrise. She didn't release because she, she didn't want to give Julia the chance to kick out. She doubled up immediately. Momo has great psychology. and It's fascinating to see how she intertwines little different things here and there just to make everything come together. Obviously, like her in-ring prime seemed to have been that 2019 run, but I think now that she's got this Oedotai character, and that was kind of the thing that I think held her back, I love what she's doing in Oedotai. Not ev- I know not everyone's a big fan of that version of the group, uh, but her having that kind of just killer streak combined with the evil heelish ways... Um, you combine that with her in-ring work, there is so much potential there, and she knows how to do the little things well. Mm-hmm. And she always had that mean streak in her, even when she was st- still in Queen's Quest. She, she was, was at her best when she was being a bitch. Excuse the language. <laughs> well, she was. You're yeah. not wrong. You're not wrong in that sen- in that statement, but she was. She was definitely a big bitch at one point in stardom. And that, that was what was hurting her in the latter half of her Queen's Quest run was it felt like she didn't have that same fire and reason to get angry and really push at things. And, you know, Starlight Kid was bringing that out of her and ever since she joined Oedotai, she sort of had that vibe again. And, you know, she dropped the wrench for the baseball bat, gives her a bit more versatility. Um, I, I, yeah, I've, I've really loved what Momo's done in the past year or two in terms of character. Oh, she's great. And she's definitely one of those people, like, 30 years of experience, and she's still only 22. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I think people forget how young she actually is because she's been, you know, she's the white belt champion back in 2018, 2019. So people think, oh, she must be, like, 27, 28. No, she's only 23. There's still Mm. so many years for her to continue doing great things, getting better, getting opportunities. Even before then, uh, sorry, sorry, Matt, but, like, even before that, um, with Queen's Quest, it was kind of playing third fiddle to Saya and Utami already. Yeah, yeah. That definitely felt like she was leading the group, but leading from the back. And, you know, Queen's Quest, they are a very stoic group. Um, to get the character to come out, it's a very, very unique line to have to walk to keep the vibes of that group and showcase that personality. Uh, you see Utami's figured that out. I think Saya has figured that out and Azumi has. Um, Momo, I think, just struggled, especially when she wasn't a champion. Uh, it's a bit harder to portray the kind of character she had if you're not winning the matches all the time. Um, whereas now with Oedo Tai, it's just freed her up a bit. I think you know, it's let her be more what she wants to be. Yeah, because you can even see it too. Like She was slowly getting more and more frustrated with the fact that she had to watch her teammates win the red and white belts, respectively. Mm. 
And we saw that uh, story yeah. play out again with Utami. You know, after she lost the red belt for the next two years, like she lost the red belt, Saikamatani won the white belt the exact same night, went on to have a record-breaking reign. Azumi went on to have a record-breaking reign with the high-speed championship, and she's just kind of there going, oh, this is nice, I won the leadership match, but I'm third-wheeling, just like Momo did. Uh, the main difference was she was able to find that ground uh, to keep the group together and keep her emotions in check and find the right balance. And that's why, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, I just want to get this thought out because Trent hit it right right on the head. And that's why a lot of people, when they went to that loser, leave, loser has to leave uh, faction cage match, a lot of people they, thought it would be Saya or Utami leaving because of that factor. It was just like, well, I'm the leader. My, I, as soon as I lost this belt, literally, Saya wins the white belt. The next match, I lose the red belt. Azumi goes on this run. Saya goes on this run. They're lauded in this faction. So it's like at all, everything pointed to it was going to be Utami leaving or Sai leaving or one of them turning on each other. And something was going to... My prediction was, because the match was, it wasn't about who won. The way it was built up was, the last one, Cage, has to leave the faction. And I really thought the last two people in the cage were going to be Utami and Saya. So all <laughs> is good. And now it's just like, now they have to fight to see who's going to leave and who's going to stay. And I was like, there might be literally something where Utami just bludgeons Saya... And then she takes Sai and throws her out of the cage. So this way, uh, Utami is forced to leave, and then she's going to go to a wet tie. And it went in a completely different direction that nobody saw coming and that everybody absolutely loved. And that storytelling of, like, this is where it could go, but then at the very end where... And it was, the fact that it was Momo, I know we're getting out of track, that it was Momo, the former leader of this faction, giving Saya the bat and be like, you make the decision. She's like, no, I'm staying I'm staying here with Utami, and Utami just, she can't make the cage, and she's all bloody, and she literally could have left that cage. Go back and watch that match. She could have left the cage four or five times. She mm -hmm. made sure everybody got out, and she was the last person to get out, because that's what a leader does. And then Saya helps her out at the end, pulls her out, even though Saya's already escaped the cage, pulls her out of the cage, and then they climb down together. And I'm going to point this out, because I think this is hilarious. It's just how genius Azumi is. So the match ends. Queen's Quest wins. All the members of Queen's Quest jump on Sai and Utami are, are hugging. And so clearly on camera that you see Azumi is looking at all the photographers around this giant group hug. Azumi realizes the moment is not about anybody except for Sai and Utami. Azumi literally pulls Miyu, Hina, and Lady C off them and was like, no, 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 no. Let them get the camera shot. And I thought that was so genius. And it wind up making it to the, uh, well, the, once they got on stage, it made it to the cover weekly pro wrestling so it's like not only is azumi a genius in the ring she knows where the photographer needs to be and what the shot that that she needs to make sure everybody's out of the way it's about signing new tommy right now like what a genius and that's selfless because she was taking herself out of the uh, iconic situation. She was giving the spotlight to the two people who deserved it. It would have been easy just to oh accidentally my head is in the image so every time you see these two Zumi as well, she's a part of the group too, but I mean that whole match leading up to it and the match itself, I have never seen a better executed story in Stardom's history and it's it's honestly not even close. And there's been some great stories in Stardom, but this was literally perfection as everything you mentioned there and even like the point with the bat that got introduced as a, a red herring a, a week or two prior when Momo handed Saya the bat and she was looking at it and thinking and thinking and even when she hit Momo with the bat and sort of showed her allegiance and they did the you know pulling her up the cage I was still worried I was thinking we were getting Mufasa and uh, 
Scar in Lion King and she's going to go long live the queen and push her off the top of the cage after everything that happened. I, I, that, I was that frazzled by this story and they just executed it to perfection. Everything was in slow yeah. motion at that top of that cage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Again, again we, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of this episode about kind of the stardom booking be a little bit off. Trent, you mentioned it. That's the, for longtime stardom fans or for somebody that's studied the history of stardom, that's the greatest story they've ever done. And it's one mm. of the greatest angles that any wrestling company ever done. I mean, you literally, that literally can be traced back to 2018, where I know the members are different, but the teams are the same with the uh, Oweto Tai versus Queen's Quest. The loser, yep. last person has to leave the faction where Tam leaves and Mayu basically kidnaps Tam. So now you're coming to stars <laughs> when EO is trying to recruit her. But it's like literally very much like an, a, you know, a, a sports game, you know, even though these teams have 50, 60 years of rivalry and obviously the players are different, but the teams are the same and, you know, the ferocity and everything is still the same. So the way that that was just built was just absolute genius. And I didn't point this out until somebody pointed out to me maybe about a week or so after. If you go back when Sire raises the bat and she goes to make the decision, somebody zoomed in on that clip and it took a picture with just what Utami's doing. And what Utami's doing, she's closing her eyes and she's feeding her head to Saya. Gonna give, we're gonna get a little tricks of the trade of pro wrestling here. She's feeding the head to Saya as if she's taking the baseball bat shot. And she doesn't. I was like, oh my God, that somehow made this moment even bigger for me. Because literally, again, go back and watch it freeze. Utami closes her eyes. She feeds her head in where she's supposed to take the baseball bat shot. It's something so small like that that you look at it and was like, oh, damn. That just made this moment even better because they really, really tricked you on that end. Working the workers. Yes, there it is. <laughs> yeah, this this whole Queen's Quest saga has been very interesting. And we still haven't got the proper blow off between Utami and Momo yet. The big singles match. Yeah, well, I mean, we're getting the uh, Queen's Quest Oedo tie uh, at uh, the Christmas show in Corican Hall, and then obviously the tag match at Dr uh, Dream Queendom as well. So obviously that big chapter is finished. But you know, Oedo tie Queen's Quest, as you said, Matt, like this is a this is a sports rivalry. This is the Lakers versus the Celtics. Mm -hmm. If you look at the yeah. when when Momo turned, and then the cage match. Um, that match is built around all built around Queen's Quest trying to protect Momo. Remember, mm -hmm, that was like mm -hmm. their whole thing. And one thing I did notice is a little tidbit: the only person to ever mention Momo by name during the, any of the promos was Saya. Nobody I else ever said Momo. They always just referred for, referred to her as leader. <laughs> wow, hmm. that's a great little pickup. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that because, like, every time they would do it, and then a lot of times you would see, like, the the other members in the back kind of, like, seeming uninterested in what was going on. Mm. So it was, like, a little, little tidbit. But I remember that specifically. It was only Saya was the only person that said, I, I want to protect my leader, Mabo Watanabe. And then, then everything happened. Yeah. And we were sad. Well, my mind was happy, but we were sad. <laughs> we're, it, it, at least it's a far cry from stars and a water side trading the clown back and forth. <laughs> hey, the, the clown is an important piece of the puzzle. She's very important to history. Yeah. Don't forget. I'm looking forward to seeing her God's Eye gimmick. <laughs> I think you're going to say Cosmic Angels. <laughs> the Cosmic Clown. <laughs> well, I, clown. I can see that a little bit better, but Shoot Defu is definitely a, you know, <laughs> in the, the full MMA gear coming out with the, the power over her head like Suzu Suzuki. It says DEATH all caps. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on over to Nagoya. Stardom. Nagoya Big Winter. Let's take a look at the results here. And then please stop me if you have any anything to say about any of these matches. I'm just gonna quickly go over the results here. We had Hanako and Miyu Amasaki defeating the team of Inishirakawa and Yuzuki. Yuzuki still looking for her first victory. My Sakurai defeats Ruaka. It was basically here to get my some mic time. Cosmic Angels, Sawiano and Yuna Mizumori defeating the team of Hanan and Saeeda. Sawiano getting the pin here on Hanan to continue her momentum for a chase to the towards the white belt. High speed title, May Sarah defeats Tekla. On the topic of May Sarah, Matt, I did have a question for you about May Sarah. Sure. As someone that has his own in-ring career, how do you feel about her no knee pad approach? Somebody brought that up to me. I think not only did Rob bring it up to me during an alternate commentary, I think my wife brought that up to me all within the last week. And you have to be insane to not have knee pads if you don't have long tights. Because you're taking all sorts of bumps, whether it's on the floor or face bumps or whatever. That's so crazy that you brought that up because I want to say it's less than a week that not only did Rob ask me that question, but my wife did as well. I think we watched him. It might have just been last night we were watching AEW. I was recording this uh, two nights ago. And I was like, why does everybody keep bringing that up to me? It's absolutely insane. Like Cody, if you remember, during his first WWE run, was doing the top rope moonsault and missing all the time because that's how they would get to the next part of the match or start building towards the finish. He didn't have any knee pads. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this guy? Does he have a death wish? I don't know why wrestlers don't wear knee pads or if you don't wear knee pads, at least long, longer tights. To kind of take away some of the brunt of uh, of on your knees because that is literally one of the first things to go is your knees not only just wrestling but like when you're lifting like when you're doing squats or even free squats anything like that or just generally moving as we get older we're putting all these miles on our legs because we're walking we're running we're, we're on our feet for work or what have you so yeah your knees are one of the first things to go and if you're not wearing knee pads or some sort of brace or some sort of support you're uh you're getting to the uh demise quicker so um I mean, God bless her. I think she's another one that's 21, 22, and she's just, she's going like a spark plug. And who would have thought somebody that hasn't wrestled in two years on the slow to start roster? Like, yeah, we need her back. And she's like one of the low-key MVPs of the company. So, again, for anybody that's looking to wrestle or, or is wrestling, uh, wear knee pads. Uh, but at the same time, who am I to tell May Sarah, you know, how to work her <laughs> wrestling style? She's a little insane for that. That's part of, That's the crazy part of her star. Is it no knee pads? <laughs> Even Suzu's smart enough to wear knee pads, and she's literally the crazy girl. <laughs> uh, to be I fair, she's seen Risa do all those knee drops over the years and probably thought, yeah, I'm learning from her. I think that's pretty sick, though, that her name's this crazy girl. Yeah, I, I mean, it's fitting. Yeah, it is. Literally, come, uh, her last match before joining Stardom full-time was against... Um, one of the craziest deathmatch guys in the history. Jim Kasai. Yeah. Jim Kasai, yeah. He's having a wild, a New Year's wild Eve. match. A New Year's Eve or New Year's Day in Atlantic City, which is just about an hour and a half drive from me. He's having a uh, deathmatch against Nick Gage. And they don't think they've ever had a deathmatch before. I was like, oh boy. That's a match you might have to, if you're in the crowd for that, you might have to sign a waiver. That's going to be nuts. You might also need knee pads if you're in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it, it is. It is the showboat. So yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be insane. And who would have thought he showed up in New Japan this year too? 
No one ever and no was one over that. as Rover. That Kurikan crowd was in love with him. Like he has such a dedicated fan base, and uh, he was great with El Desperado. Like we obviously saw their death match against each other earlier. I think in the year or late last year. Um, but they're a great tag team as well. Yeah, and speaking of Desperado, he's had one hell of a year too. He's like, ever since the pandemic, it feels like that pandemic hit and he's like, okay, I'm going to become the coolest guy in the world. Uh, he's done such a great job and it's a shame that it felt like they stopped pushing him right as the crowd came back. It's very unfortunate. But he did end up doing a lot of stuff with Starlight Kid as well. Yeah, fantastic team. And I, I love seeing the New Japan guys who were supporting Stardom before Historic Crossover. So you had, obviously, El Desperado and Tam were doing... Uh, El Desperado and Salad Kid were doing a lot of stuff together beforehand. Tam Nakano and Taichi were doing a lot of stuff together. I, I'm gutted that it looks like Will Ospreay isn't going to get to actually do a match with the Stardom women because, like, he's been supporting them since, like, 2018. When I went to my first Stardom show, Will Ospreay was there in the crowd. Um, obviously supporting B Priestley at the time, but like he's been such an important part in sort of lifting them up as well. Uh, I wanted nothing more than him and Azumi to team up and mm -hmm. finally compare, make that brother-sister connection in the ring happen. Yeah, he's helped a lot of the high-speed style in that company, girl. Mm. And he was given Arisa Hashiki moves. I can see it. Yeah, the um the springboard uh, Ozcutter that she was doing, she did that after training with Will. That makes sense. Hmm. At least she earned it, unlike Cody, who said, fuck it, I'm going to take it. <laughs> he didn't yeah, pay Cody's his dues. Right. He, he's about to main event another WrestleMania, so he's, he's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's doing all right. Let's continue on. We had Oweta, the team of Tai, Natsuko Tora, Raka and Starlight Kid defeating... Wait, am I on the same? Oh, that's Cor that was the Corican show. Sorry. That was right below it. But no, it, was, it still is Tai, Momo and Natsuko, mm -hmm. Starlight Kid defeating God's Eye, Amisore, Mirai, and Shuri. And then we had the UW, UWF rules match of Anai Takashi and the Scandinavian Hurricane. I'm so glad she's now joining God's Eye and gets to do more stardom style matches. Because obviously, like, she's come in, she's doing a lot of UWF rules stuff, doing a lot of singles matches. But, like, for her coming over and any of the women who come over and sort of, you know, spend three months, six months in the stardom system, the best way for them to learn is working in the tag matches and having a couple of people they can work under. Obviously, someone like Shuri is going to be the best trainer for her. Um, she's shown a lot of potential. I'm very excited to see, like, at the end of her tour where she's looking at. Yeah, we'll see. Because... She... Hmm. Like you said, uh, God's Eye does really fit her style. It's the, the shoot. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything yeah. to add, Matt? I was going to say, uh, no, Trent was absolutely right. That's the best way to learn is just, you know, constantly on the road wrestling, especially in the tag matches, because you have more than one person trying to morph your style. Sherry's been the MVP pretty much that company the last two years. Mariah's doing very well. Ami Sori, is, she's going to be one of the breakout stars in 2024. She's going into the end of this year, beginning of next year with a lot of momentum. But uh, I mentioned it before. Give me an Aphrodite versus Shuri Alice Inc. match somewhere in 2024 for the Goddess Belts. That'd be amazing. I mean, they haven't been doing much with Shuri this year, so that's definitely, I think, on the, the cards. That is true. Like, if you look back at it in, like, the recent years, every time someone drops a red belt, they kind of, you know, hang out for a little bit. They sort of uh, let them decompress a bit because obviously they're in the main event scene, especially when they've had the year-long reigns. Like, it kind of gives everyone 
gives them a chance to breathe because obviously carrying the company being the top star working the biggest matches puts a bit of an extra strain on the body toll on it so give them a chance to kind of breathe rest recover and i mean you can tell shuri's ready to get right back at it because anytime she's given a chance to shine this year in the five-star grand prix especially she kills it that little moment we you know when she was facing momo watanabe in the tag match at the pay-per-view they were just throwing right legs at each other super hard and she's even got the new costume like that's always a sign like someone's ready to do something fresh and interesting she comes out in the new year and she debuted in a pre-show tag match on the pay-per-view she's she's hungry she's ready oh yeah definitely she could be someone that not even necessarily for Tata. I mean, she could obviously she could win that uh, New Japan belt from Mayu at Queendom if that if that's the route they go. That could potentially happen. But she's also someone that doesn't need a belt either. Anything she yeah. does feels important. A singles, a special singles match on a pay per view with Shuri is a big deal. Uh, whether it's GWF rules match or whether it's something else, because she's kind of inhabited the final boss. Uh, character because like all through 2021 2022 even in 2020 like she took hardly any losses um and uh, they they make a point to protect her even when she's not champion yeah she was the final boss before she was even champion too yeah and it's believable because she you know punk crust champion she was in the ufc if someone told me she is the strongest person on this roster even without a title i'm not gonna argue (laughs) <laughs> with any way to argue with that fact. <laughs> yeah, let's move it over to the last three matches of the show, which is really where this show shines. And mm-hmm. this next one, potentially a show stealer, the New Japan Strong Women's Championship, Julia defending its Azumi. That was a fantastic match. Um, yeah, these like Azumi, just any time she's given a spotlight match, uh, feels like she goes out of her way to tell everyone that she's a big deal. Um, and I think especially like you've got Suzu who's 21, you've got Starlight Kid who's 21, you've got Azumi who's 21. Like they're going to be going at each other for years trying to prove they're number one. Azumi and Starlight Kid were trading best years against each other you know, from 2018 basically. One would have a great year, then the other would respond and now Suzu's there. Like they're just going to bring out the best in each other as they keep proving who the best young prodigy is. I think Azumi got the leg up. She's been doing this since she was nine. It's such a ridiculous story. That that image of her with the uh, other ge- second-generation trainees where she's half the size of everyone, it's just the funniest picture. It's, it's like she's literally a child. <laughs> Not a teenager, a child. Yeah. She, she's in school, primary school, not secondary school. That's going to be Sukasa's daughter. <laughs> she's already getting the ring and working, brother. Got her doing internationals at home. Oh yeah, but yeah. But this this match for me, it was like one of those quiet uh, quiet reminders of why I love wrestling. I I can completely understand that. Like I knew Zimmy wasn't gonna win, but that brief moment of hope, as we alluded to earlier, when she kicked out of the spinning glorious driver, I was like, you know what? There's a chance. It's small, but it's there. As someone who was a Jungle Kiona fan for years, you, that's all you need, just a sliver of a chance, and you convince yourself and you believe. I feel you. So it doesn't matter. Who, I feel you. I don't know how many times I've watched her lose close matches, especially in the Momo. It's like, she, mm. this, this time. It's this time, okay? Yeah. I'm not going to make her lose at home again. Every Jungle Kiona fan had a contract with Rossi Ogawa. He will cycle her into a title match every couple of months, 
and the acceptance is that we believe so that when she loses, it's all that much more emotional. Yeah. The genius of Jungle Kiana. And her opponents, because, I mean, look at all those all, all, almost wins. Mayu, Momo twice, Arissa. I mean, you know, those were the biggest ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the best workers in stardom's history. Definitely. So good. It's just a shame that her body quit on her. Yeah, like that that injury situation, like it wasn't just a case of she had one injury, she had three injuries at once and like she couldn't get surgery on one body part because she had to get surgery on the other body part and she needed that body part to help heal on the other body part. Like literally held together by sticks and stones and, you know, masking tape. Uh, The fact she's able to get back in the ring at all I think is a bit of a miracle and, you know, obviously she couldn't wrestle to the full extent she wanted to uh, but she was able to get, you know, an American tour. She was able to get to that hiatus match at Nomads uh, and whether she ever makes it back in the ring or not, I think she can be proud of what she's done. Yeah, it was a similar situation with Arisha Hoshiki. She even tried to make that comeback with Acris Girls but her Mm. body, her neck just couldn't hold up. Such a shame. Yeah, and that's why every time someone when someone loses a big match or a title match and then someone says, Oh, well, they got time, like I you really don't know. You it's very unfortunate, but we've seen it time and time again where a young promising talent is forced to retire very, very early. Wrestling is a fickle business and almost doubly so for Joshi. Yeah, this this sport can be very cruel. Yeah, that's why like you know sometimes you see some really negative discourse on just not just Joshi, just any wrestlers. I'm like you, nine and a half times out of ten, it's like it's somebody that's never taken a bump before. Like, you guys have no idea what pro wrestlers go through: the traveling, the getting to the venue, getting you know, making sure this is right, make sure that's right. Just the mental state you need to go into to go realize you're throwing yourself at the ground. You're trying not to get hurt. You want to make your opponent look good. You want to make sure all your stuff looks good. And you want to be able to get done with this 8, 10, 15, 20-minute match. Uh, get back on the bus or get back in your car. Get back on the plane and go to the next town. Just that alone is absolutely insane. And that's why it's like whenever I see somebody like, this person's a terrible wrestler, this person's a terrible wrestler. As long as they were trained right and they're one of these fly-by-night schools that somebody's just trying to make money, it's not just thing as terrible wrestlers because people do not understand the sacrifices that pro wrestlers put on their body, especially on the level that these stardom wrestlers do. Yeah, and the schedule um, they had too. That also adds up to it. Go ahead, Trent. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, like, um, I did one training session uh, years ago. And, you know, we, very basic stuff. You did a lot of cardio stuff and a couple of back bumps, you know, learning how to fall and all of that. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is not bad. You know, I sort of, I've got good size for the company that was there. Maybe I could do something here and make a little bit of a, a side hustle hobby out of. And for the next week, I would just like be walking like the mummy because my neck was in so much pain and my back was in so much pain and my knees was in so much pain. And on day five, because like the next training session was going to be the week after, day five I'm thinking, yeah, no, I think I'm happy just, you know, writing about it on the internet and acting like I know what I'm talking about on audio podcasts. That works better for me. I don't know how people go in day in, day out, um, especially on the kind of schedule and the kind of intensity they run. And that's not including the travel. That's not including, you know, living out of beds that they're not used to. Uh, It's, yeah, it really is a mental strain and a physical strain. The likes of only other wrestlers can truly understand. 
it really builds up your mental capacity to something literally to the point where it's like any job that I go for or whatever. Even it's like when you're going for a job interview or a promotion. I remember when company I was working for before the one I'm, work, well, I'm working now, it's just like, okay, we're interviewing and you're interviewing up against these four or five people. I'm like, all that interview is a promo and all you're doing is selling <laughs> yourself. And that's the way I would treat it. Like I would have hired friends of mine that were very high up in the company. Like you need to talk about this. You need to talk about that. And I'm like, I kind of have an idea where I'm going to go, but I don't want to memorize anything. I'm just going to wing it. And I think I went like six for six on promotions. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, I'm a pro wrestler. Like we are apps. Our work ethic is insane. And I'm literally just cutting a promo telling why you should hire me. Why wouldn't I be able to not know how to do that? And you just throw the work ethic in it. Like has anybody else I'm going up against done 2000 free squats, ran six miles and then got in the ring and bumped around for an hour. I'm willing to say no. And I would do that two to three times a week for two years before I was even able to start wrestling. So, uh, yeah, good, good luck to anybody that's trying to go up against me. So there's the, uh, the, the kind of the positive and bright side of that is, uh, pro wrestlers, our work ethic is like, is, is, is second to none. It really is. And, and if anyone else is going for the same interview and you think they've got a chance, just challenge them to a match. Winner gets the promotion. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Push-up contest. There, there's, been, there's been plenty yeah. of contract ladder matches before. Yeah. Climb the ladder, kid. Make yourself famous. Just Feast walk around with a custom commission championship, the promotion world champion. You, you're undefeated in promotions, mate. Matt's telling them why they have a 33 and a third chance of winning. <laughs> I never had a. I had that in my back pocket. I could. I could have used the uh, the Steiner math problem. I never had to pull out the uh, the uh, the double aces there. <laughs> I, that, that's when you're deep in the the pit and you got the the strong promotional candidate. So you got to really bring in that Steiner math, show that you know numeracy. Because as crazy as that promo is, it's accurate when you actually do the math, which is the craziest thing. Steiner <laughs> <I know> math. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful stuff. Uh, let's move it over to the big return. Got uh, Aphrodite uh, taking on Divine Kingdom, Micah and Megan Bain for the vacant Goddess Starting Championships. Good match here. Um, kind of going full circle with Megan Bain and Utami. Utami was the one that brought her in, and now that she's teaming with one of her rivals, it's a big, big feel good moment for Aphrodite here. And it was what all about, about the this. story. Yeah, go ahead, Trent. I was like, it's all about the story because, like, this match was a good match in terms of in-ring stuff, um, but it felt like it was all about sort of overcoming, you know, the the the, the mountain that is Megan Bain and Utami and Sai. After having a year where they struggled to work together and to communicate, they were firing on all cylinders together. They didn't put a step wrong. And by comparison, the match ended when there was a mistake between tag team wrestlers. But this time, it wasn't Utami and Sai. It was Micah and Megan. Yeah, well put, sir. The the um, what I was gonna say is that anytime Utami got in trouble, Saya made the save. Anytime mm-hmm. Saya was in trouble, Utami made the save because Divine Kingdom has not lost a match. Uh, they, they lost one. I mean, has not lost by pinfall. Excuse me. They lost to one match in the Goddess Arm Tag League to uh, Mayu and Han uh, eye contact via countout, but they haven't been pinned. So not only does this get Aphrodite over as, okay, they climbed that hill and now we saw some dissension between them early in the year. They're on the same page. Hey, Utami was was in trouble. Saya made the save and vice versa. But then also you have somebody in this match that's going to the, uh, in Micah, somebody that in this match that's going to 
Dream Queendom to main event. So you keep her strong, not only by not taking the pinfall, but it was her 360 clothesline that hit Megan Bain that allowed Utami to hit that beautiful German suplex for the pinfall. So it's like, not only do you keep Micah strong by not eating the fall, you keep her strong because she off had offensive move that affected the finish. So you have to throw that in the psychology of the, uh, the minds of the people watching. So I thought it was very well done. Was it Thunder Rock versus Kyrie Mako Satomaro? No, not by any means, but it was a simple story to tell that showed, okay, these are our tag champs going into 2024 and we're going to push the heck out of them. And they're all going to be a little bit limited because obviously if you want the best match possible in that situation, you'd be closing out with Micah, probably doing Micah Utami because anytime they're in the ring together, they're putting magic. Uh, Megan Bain forces you to tell a different story, which maybe isn't as kinetically exciting, but you have to protect Micah heading into Dream Queendom. She can't be taking the pinfall there. So I think the movement from maybe telling just a five-star caliber match technically to a match which delivered on every front story-wise was the right call there definitely and how good is it to see saya back in the ring no there's nobody else like her in stardom i loved how she was like oh you know while she was off maybe i'll have to change my style up a little bit don't take too many risks and then that first curriculum back she's doing springboard uh planches into the outside and then she's doing all the stuff she was doing on this match too uh she she worked us well there like the new, I mean, their gear is always great. So that's one thing stardom is like on a completely different level than everybody else with the gear, how they're able, even like Azumi, when Azumi's like by herself, especially with Utami and, and Sai being injured, she comes out with completely different gear, like completely like the orange and the white. But then when she's, when she's on these shows with, uh, with her fellow Queen's Quest uh, mates, she back to the all purple. Cause they, everybody kind of has a color. Like even Momo had the blue, Sai has the yep. green. Azumi has the has the purple. Utami has the has the red. So I thought that was really cool when she first switched up her game. Like, oh, it looks really cool. But me as a diehard Queen's Quest fan, I associate them with colors. But now it's like, oh, that's when she's just working singles. Okay, even to the point like Sai with this new robe. When she did her pose in the ring at Cork and Hall for a return, you just see the feathers go everywhere. And she's trying not to sell it, and then she just starts laughing. <laughs> I thought that was great. But yeah, I mean they they look they look great. Their gear looks. Look, I mean, look great before where they're on a completely different level. And I, again, I know this is the 10th time I said on this podcast, I'm so excited for their goddess run here. By all means, please be excited. They're <laughs> very much welcome back. And when she got injured, I was very, I'm a very loyal Saya fan. When she got injured, so did my podcast. I put my, I put my show on the shelf for as long as she did. Wow. How about that? You're going through the injury process with her. <laughs> What a fan. Gotta stay together. Hey, I have Queen's Quest tattooed on my knee. I have to stay loyal. Do you I'm really think like you're wearing a knee pad? <laughs> yeah, I can show it to you guys later. Yeah, please yeah, do. Yeah, please do. Please I have do. a full please Queen's do. Quest mask on my knee. Oh, oh I think wow. I think I've seen that. Yeah. I have. Yeah, definitely take a picture and send yeah, yeah, I'll send you need to, you to guys. get like a full, uh, make it look like you're wearing Queen's Quest tights with <laughs> just tattoos. That's the next step. <laughs> They have uh, they have the Momo insignias on the side. Yeah, definitely send it. Yeah, slide. definitely, definitely send it to me on Twitter when we're done with this. Because, because uh, yeah, I, I'm actually gonna have to probably bounce out in about 15, 20 minutes because I'm gonna I gotta eat dinner. No worries, we can wrap this up pretty quickly. We'll move it over to the world world of start of um, what were they calling it? Right to challenge match qualifier. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, Micah, who won the. The playing tournament, the 
four person tournament. Um, real quick, just give a big shout out to Ami Sawyer making the most of that situation for herself, being thrust into that situation to the dismay of many, but making the most of it of criticizing criticizing Micah during their hype up to that match. Working the story, that's the important thing because everyone sort of looked at her and thought, oh, you're the fourth wheel in this tournament. Um, and that's that's how you sort of get yourself into a better position. Like, you know, make, make it an interesting match, whether it's not in the ring purely, although I thought both of them did a great job. Amy Sarai's at her best when she's got another Hoss to work off of. Uh, so it was great putting her in Micah. But, yeah, she's doing the story stuff, and that's exciting because, like, that's how you get yourself into good positions in stardom is even when the story isn't focused on you, you're adding and contributing to it. And that's yeah, you something to sink your teeth. It's something to sink your teeth into easy for me to say. So again, another member of the roster that's going to be on the, uh, beyond the upswing. So like, you know, not only that, but then you can put her into a tag team with any of those members of God's eye, or you can even do an artist run as well. So really excited where they're going to do with Ami. Sorry. Hopefully she wins that wonder belt one day. I think she's in a good position. That's to a get ten there. person we booked to win that belt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll book the next four years of wonder belt champions, <laughs> and there's going to be people who aren't even on the roster who are going to come in next year and probably jump the queue as well. Isn't that great? I'm though, excited that for that Charlotte so Flair wonder run in 2026. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, isn't that isn't that great though that we're able to book uh, <laughs> future book so far ahead that we have so many people that can win it or have the potential to get to that point oh yeah it's ridiculous i i remember this time last year i'm like okay so still like kids winning the cinderella tournament and then she's gonna go on and win the white belt from Saikamatani. and right now other people have taken the disney fast pass from ahead of her yeah <laughs> and yeah. with matt when you when matt when he talks about sawiano and inaba the only thing that's stopping them right now is sukebon <laughs> yeah stray cats are uh, gotta do the business <laughs> she's not even associated over there yeah yeah she's she's alone i was gonna say a lone wolf but that's in direct contradiction to her gimmick straight literally straight cat <laughs> it was right there but yeah this match uh suzu suzuki defeating hazuki retaining her uh title match good match here hazuki proving once again why she deserves to be in the main event yeah, I loved how you know this match was going to get into striking. I thought because they're both really great, like chain wrestlers and can like work holds. I figured that's where they would go to start, just kind of like lukewarm it. The bell rings, they just start trading forearms. And then Hazuki goes to her Oedo tie rights, our Oedo tie ways, and was like, let's take this to the floor. And it's like, you forget Suzu Suzuki's a deathmatch worker. But they were smart where they have four different sides of the crowd to work. So it's like, Hazuki, you're going to get pitched through two sets of chairs. And uh, and Suzu, you're going to get pitched through uh, two sets of chairs. So I thought the match was great. I really love the finish. We've seen Suzu win so many matches with the tequila shot and then the double uh, German suplex, the locomotion German suplexes. But Hazuki kicks out of the two German suplexes. And it's a simple story. To tell. It's like, how oh, well, she kicked out of my finish. I still have the waist lock on, so now I'm just going to really drop you higher on your head for the finish. I thought it kept Hazuki strong, having her kick out of Suzu's, like, go-to finish, but then the psychology of the finish was so smart. It's like, I still have the waist lock on. I'm just going to drop you on your head again. We knew it was going to be violent. We knew it was going to be hard-hitting. We knew it was going to be good. We ordered steak. We got a delicious steak. This match was fantastic. This was my favorite match of, of, of this show, and uh, this show was, it was a pretty darn good show, especially those last three matches. 
but this was my favorite match. This was right up my alley. I love hard-hitting, no BS wrestling, and that's what Suzu and Hazuki do best. And it's, it's a match that we were waiting to see, I think, as well, especially with the spotlight on them. Um, originally, I think they booked it for Kurokan Hall and then kind of realized, oh, Big Winter kind of needs that uh, send-off match to really bring it together. So I thought it was a good move, uh, moving that there. Uh, the crazy thing is, they've both got another gear. Like, put these two in another match in a different situation, I think we're going to get something even juicier from them, which is both scary and incredibly exciting. Suzu wins the belt. I mean, there it is right there. Build Hazuki back up. You know, maybe that's a match you get up. Usually they do a uh, a pay-per-view there in May, June in Fukuoka. I mean, you can do it there, which that's why I think Hazuki's going to win the white belt. Fingers crossed. But at the same time, you can run that match there as well. And then uh, then you'll get to that next gear. Yeah, give me Hazuki in Fukuoka with a red belt match on the line because yeah, she gets good crowd support there especially. And in Tokyo as well, like we see some really rabid crowds for her. Um, so they can really run it. Just about anywhere, I think, and it's going to get a good reaction, except maybe this uh, Nagoya crowd that they had. This match gave me flashbacks to Azuki versus Saya from the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Still one of the matches of the year as well, that Saya azuki yeah. match. Crazy how strong that's held up. Oh, yeah. But, gentlemen, we do have the potential at ending this year to have Suzu Suzuki and Saoriano carrying the two biggest championships in stardom. And they were tag team partners and Ice Ribbon. Ice Ribbon takeover, Julia with a championship, those two with the top titles. This is the plan all along. Yeah. We need Mayuki to come back and, I don't know, maybe win the high speed title. <laughs> <laughs> have, her, have them uh, four horsemen the white belt. I'm down. Freebird it. <laughs> just have every member of Ice Ribbon come and defend it when they feel like it. That'd be a very unique faction thing, a singles belt that gets uh, four, not four horsemen, um, moved around like that, free-birded. You literally just said the word. <laughs> yeah, it'll escape you sometimes. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it flew away. That's what birds do. Yeah, this is, this is a strong end of the show. Obviously, Micah comes out, then her and Suzu yap at each other for a little bit building <laughs> further to their match and i do like one thing i like about micah's promos that she's doing right now during the post-match comments of the uh year end tour is that every time she's talking she's saying that she can't afford to get injured mm, mm. Yeah. Our true. That. True. we agree mm. we agree <laughs> yeah <laughs> please don't micah You're yeah not... that's what she's not telling any lies <laughs> no she's not this roster is best, very depleted. We don't need you to go down too. Best ability sometimes is availability. And that's the thing. Like the people who maybe <laughs> should have been in the main event at Dream Queendom have gone down. She's been in the position to take take the opportunity. And that's sometimes all you need. Because 2023 has been a year Mike has taken every opportunity. You know, from the moment Himika said, I'm going to take four months and retire, it feels like she's just been working overtime to put herself in the best position to succeed. And all that hard work has got her in the main event of one of the biggest shows of the year. Yeah, and it's crazy thing. She wasn't even probably like the third or fourth option to win the five-star, but look at look at where she's at now. Yeah. If she does go down, put Amisori in there. Let's not, let's not uh, bring that into the air of another injury right now. We're, 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 I feel like stardom has exercised every injury uh, curse possible. So 2024 just needs to be a clean banner year. 
I'm really excited to see how that schedule lightens up because sometimes they were two or three pay-per-views in the three-week span. Oh, yeah, the schedule yeah. was atrocious. Um, yeah, re- whether you're looking at it from a, a fan trying to buy the pay-per-views or a worker trying to work all those big shows, um, unfortunately, we probably won't see it change till late February, early March because we don't know how far in the future they book all these venues. They've announced up to mid-late January, but obviously that's just the stuff that's been announced. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing them getting to work, let's be honest, a normal schedule. It'll be good because they'll be oh it's so it's gonna feel so good to see them all be fresh and ready to go. Yeah, less less tape all over their bodies. Yeah, because yeah. you gotta think about it, like between these brute like the, these schedules like these tour schedules they do plus the YouTube stuff you know the showcases mm. and well the showcase is dead I think uh New Blood and then you got you know all the specialty pay per views like they had that tag with the Dream Tag one. There's a lot of stuff they can cut out or at least have now and cut other uh house shows out mm-hmm. i do hope they bring back the dream tag stuff though that is a it's a really fun kind of non-canon show uh, and and the crowd turned up for it as well which is encouraging i'm totally voting for momo and azumi as a tag team for that uh, next year by the way i put all my chips into a, a reunite a re- reunion one night only in momo odds for Man. what it's worth, I voted for that when they put the voting polls out there. I was oh. with you. <laughs> what a great tag team. My opinion, the greatest tag team to uh, instead of never win the tag belts. Much I love me some Arissa and Tam as Dream Shine. I bow down to the Queens uh, as much as possible. But yeah, Momo and Izumi, that, uh, man, that, uh, I'd love to see that at least one more time. Man, I was even talking about that a couple years ago. Like, what if they just did that for the tag league where you just have two people that aren't in the same faction tag with each other. Well, they nearly had to do it this year with all the injuries. So I should have just done like a massive roulette wheel and go, okay, this person, this person. Oh, okay, cool. Why not? Because I mean, Lady C every year, she's teamed with someone else outside of her faction. And you know what? She's made it work. She has a lot of friends. The fact she's supposed to, if you remember when the brackets were announced, because Sai was injured, she's supposed to uh, team with Utami. So she's like, yes, I get this main event there. And then Utami goes down. And if you do watch, one of my favorite tag teams ever is the Holy Demon Army, Kawad and Tawe. When they would do the tags or uh, six-person tags, they would do the Holy Demon Army finish. Which was, if you remember that, that they would do the choke slam and backdrop driver. That's, uh, uh, you know, Tawe would have the choke slam to the backdrop driver so lady c would grab somebody by the throat and uh utami would give him the backdrop driver and i'm like oh they're literally taking one of my all-time favorite tag teams finishers so i was like they're gonna be in the tag league we're gonna see some holy De- demon army finish and good for lady c for finally, finally having a, a steady tag partner then it was like a week later it's like utami ayashista is injured <laughs> i was like oh not again the, the rule is she can't team with Queen's Quest in the tag league. So, Rossi, next year, don't book her with anyone in Queen's Quest because you're asking for an injury. Uh, Hopefully, everybody stays healthy next year. Yeah. But do you remember when Momo Oz and uh, JK Green were busting out the 3D? So many good memories. Uh, good times. <laughs> there, there's something special about White Top Momo funny sort of looking back at that and it sort of brought out a slightly different vibe of her and i do love the jk green because you got to add all the e's in that mm-hmm. name I um, they always are. they always came back for the like the goodbye shows 
Hiromi Mamora, she left and she wanted J.K. Green to get her again. When Kagetsu was leaving, that's the same team she wanted to go out on as well. So yeah. it shows you how like important not only the rest those two were, but those two as a pairing were. Yeah, I brought it up on Pedro's show. Momo has done a lot of retirement matches. He's also done a lot of debut matches. Yeah, she is one of the best people you can put a young wrestler with just to basically work her through a match and also see where she's at. Um, and you see someone like Yuzuki in her debut match against Momo. Uh, she looked like a million bucks. And obviously she's a she's definitely one of the better prospects that Stardom have had in the rookie class for some time, um, probably since Sai Kamatani. Uh, but it also in saying that Momo's perfect at getting that out of them and sort of seeing can you fire up, can you do this, can you do that? How do you respond in these situations? So, yeah, that's such a valuable skill to have. Yeah, you almost have to fire up when Momo's throwing those kicks at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have a choice. Sink <laughs> <laughs> or swim. Momo's definitely a measuring stick for this company. Yeah. Um, and I, that's what I like about what Nanai Takahashi's doing with the Passion Injection matches is she's testing a lot of these uh, lower-level talents and uh, younger stars and basically putting them in a similar situation to what we just said with Momo. So she fires up. She won't sell for you if you throw weak stuff. So if you don't throw it, she'll make you look bad. But if you throw it, she'll make you look good in response. And, you know, I think that Sai Ida and Lady C and Ruaka have all had career best matches in these passion injection matches from the night. The psychology of the selling is, is if, is if I'm having a match with you, Trent, and you throw a punch at me and it looks terrible and I sell it, then who look who you look bad? It's me. Yeah. I look bad. Like, what a wimp Matt Turner is. Trent through this punch, it looked like it couldn't it couldn't break an egg, and, and Matt Turner's on on the ground. So, yeah, that's what is that's what it, I mean. You see, Miyu Amasaki was like that for like a, her first year, year and a half was thrown in one of the worst forums I've ever seen in wrestling. And I'm like, and nobody was selling it. And I'm like, they shouldn't sell it. And then it's like, I think it was like Utami or Azumi probably took her aside and was like, I can literally teach you how to throw a better form in about sixty seconds. And now you see you're starting to come along. But yeah, that's the whole thing of the selling is if you see somebody throwing in a parrot punch or something and they go and sell it, then you're literally seeing through the tricks and it's going to take the audience out of the match. And Mio Amasaki is another one who's had a really improved uh, performances in the past probably six months or so. It's been great to see her with O2 line and Azumi, but even outside of that, I feel like she's it's really starting to click, which is encouraging. Absolutely. And another person that's had a really big turnaround with their striking is Mina. She threw some of the most atrocious forearms I've ever seen when she first came into stardom. And and her striking now looks fantastic. Like her transformation from character heavy worker who was probably put in positions one or two steps above her in ring ability to being a legitimate main eventer who people want to see win these top titles and you know carrying matches in many ways as well. Uh it's 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 it convinced me that you can't judge a book by its cover even for after several years because sometimes it takes a little while for it to click and with Mina it has clicked and she's become one of the best wrestlers on that roster on a stacked roster too. I say this all the time: it doesn't matter what your profession is, what you're doing. You put the work in and you're dedicated and disciplined. You will improve. I don't care if you're pro wrestling, if you're pro football. I don't care if you flip pancakes or dig ditches. If you are dedicated to your craft and you're going to put the time in, you will get better. And Mina Shirakawa is that to a huge example. You look at where she was at the big spring show of 2022. She was in that. 
make she basically it's gonna sound bad throw away battle royal the one with mace yeah. the one that got her the high speed championship that's where she was you fast forward a year later to the big show in the spring of 2023 the biggest show in stardom history she not only wins the wonder of stardom championship has in my opinion the best match of the show and dethrones one of the greatest champions in stardom's history again that's what can happen in a year you put the time in, you're dedicated, you're focused, you say you don't listen to the naysayers, you don't listen to the critics that are bringing you down, and you're disciplined to your craft, that's where you can go. And just look at the character where she did after Saya accidentally busted her mouth. She played it off perfectly. She yep. forced Rossi to change the plans. Yeah, she had the in-ring yeah. promo right afterwards and the one backstage mm-hmm. that are like... Mm-hmm. Bloody mouth, like, okay. you can see her teeth yeah. or jagged it's like what a warrior yeah Yeah. literally like that moment changed the course of the white belt because i I don't think she was meant to be winning that belt anytime soon but what she did there she got so over had the crowd so behind her and it was yeah it was like you kind of almost like what we're talking about with micah here it's like you kind of have to pull the trigger on this kind of heat you know she's just she brought everyone around her. They give her a faction. She does a great job with that. A difficult faction too, because you you miss you don't have members half the time because it's a lot of flying talent. You're supporting the English speaking uh, foreigners that are coming in. They've asked a lot from her, and she's delivered again and again and again. You look what yeah you look at that did for Saikamatani because then they made an angle over like where she get the can she get the Phoenix Splash can she? There were so many matches. Especially like you had the Kyrie match, you know, I think the month later, where it's just like, can she go for the Phoenix Splash or can't? And like she literally had her finish, had to go to, to the uh, the Star Crusher in the 450. Or sometimes she would do the Star Crusher back to back, like how she did with that match with Hazuki. Mm-hmm. It's like you're literally taking away her best weapon, the Phoenix Splash, and she's still having great matches with with Kyrie, you know, with Hazuki, and then you know, then she finally pulls it off in that match with Mina, and Mina kicks out. So it was just like not only was that a story, they literally took something so terrible like an injury and, and stuff like that happens. And, and the crowd blew something. the roof off on that moment when the the, uh, the Phoenix Splash hit and then the kick out. Like I, I was there in the building for it and the whole crowd just absolutely erupted. It was one of the just like we talk about those big reactions here and there on this episode. That's one of them. And for, for like after that moment, the crowd was just nearly on their feet for the rest of that match. Yeah, it's like, again, it just shows you the great worker side Kamatani is. It's like, okay, I'm going to take this mm. negative. Thank God she's not injured too bad. And I'm going to turn this into a positive. We're going to build this into a story. And we're literally going to just absolutely steal the show. And that's what they did. Yeah. And here anything else, gentlemen, because I'm going to have to part here in a few minutes. Yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up pretty quickly. But just listen, you guys retell that tale about Saya and Mina. It brought a smile to my face. It's great stuff. And I'll say this, and I say this a lot. A great championship. I'll say this. Obviously, that's like the go-to match. But go back and watch the match where Mina gets injured. And again, I like matches where there's big in that one. You know, it's it's a it it was a big injury, but not like one that's going to put somebody on the shelf for a year Mm. or so. Like I can watch that match. That match is phenomenal. It has like the very like like Bret Hart '94 '95 buildup. Where like Mina goes to the knee and then Sai is able to power out and she goes to her power. And it's a great storytelling match. It just has like the bad finish. But even if you go to the month before that, the match that sets up for the title match was the uh, the five star in Cork and Hall where Mina beats 
Sai in Cork and Hall that sets up the championship match. Like, again, we talk about how great Sai is. Mina Shirakawa, who's a proven main eventer, her probably three best matches, in my opinion, in stardom are all against Sai Kamatani. Yeah, I think the only one, like she said, uh, the other match I would put up there is her one successful white belt defense the month after against Natsupoi. That was yeah, a fantastic was match as well. Um, and it's, it makes me want to just, let's get more of these meaner matches and really get her. Because, like, the one issue she maybe had, like, she showed glimpses of her ability in the 2021 Five Star Grand Prix, but it wasn't consistent. And then a year later, she was putting them in consistently in every time she was called upon, and now in 2023, um, it's all come together as well as she could ever hope. Sir, I agree. Okay, as we wind down here, just want to run off some news that's been going around. Uh, Miyu Amasaki will be wrestling Mesa Ruga and Gata Move on the 10th Finally, of January. Finally, was meant to happen ages ago. <laughs> Trent will definitely be covering that, I'm assuming? Absolutely. Um, on Choco Cast, if we do a quick plug, um, I've got a dedicated Gato Move Choco Pro uh, podcast, and yeah, very excited for that one. And of course, Jeff, who is at all of these shows, he can give us an on-the-ground experience. Beautiful. And then Starlight Kid, Gami announced that she will be appearing at Waves December 24th show. Mm -hmm. Tam, uh, innocuous by her absent at the January 21st autograph signing, which is very Tam of her. She's not going to just appear here just to go back into hiding. <laughs> yeah, she, she works when she wants to work. Yeah, it's, it's definitely her, her return is going to be huge. I mean, she's the, the biggest star in that company. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of anticipation when that finally happens. All right. And then as we continue on to the road to Queendom, the card so far is Awadotai, Asukutora, and Momo Watanabe taking on Aphrodite for the Goddess of Sardin Championships. Very and exciting. Then, and then we have Megan Bain versus Julia for the New Japan Strong Women's Championship after their match. Was it in, was it in Corrigan, right? It was a style show. It was just a house show because it obviously wasn't meant to happen, but injuries yeah. and uh, card changes. And so it was just a, okay, you go out there, go on for 15 minutes and put on a banger of a match. And that's, that's what they did. And they're going to do it again. Mm -hmm. And then the Wonder Stardom Championship match, Sariano versus Mirai. Sariano's second crack. I think she's going to do it this time. I can't predict this one. Uh, I, I would like Mariah to have a bit of a longer reign because I think she's she's doing a great job. She's having great matches. Uh, but it's always kind of, she's always played second fiddle to something going on on the show, whether it's a, the Gold Rush ladder match, whether it's a, a World of Stardom championship match. It always feels like she's second fiddling a bit. And I think there's, there's more that she can give in this white belt reign. Yeah, even the yeah. match she beat Tam, who Tam was the red and white belt champion going into. That wasn't even the main event. It was the strap match with Soryanu and Natsupoi, which God bless exactly. the two of them for having a gimmick match. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you not put a World Wonder of Stardom Championship match on as the main event? I mean, back in 2018, Momo and Jungle Kiona was the main event over Io Shirai's last, uh, you know, official Stardom match. Like, you go back and yeah. look at that card, and Io, Io, yeah, Io and Mayu, the reunion of Thunder Rock versus Kagetsu and Hazuki, that wasn't even the main event, because that's how well they value that belt. And now it's like, okay, not only are you have this belt, you, it's not only are you having a title change here, and you're crowning your back-to-back -back Cinderella win, Tam is also the red belt champion, and that doesn't go on last? Like, that just kind of just, I was like, I kind of just didn't understand. But uh, 
Yeah, I, it seems like stardom is, I think, is very smart booking by doing Megan Bain and Julia as well as Soriano Mirai back to back. You literally have two matches that went to two time limit draws that got over huge. They were both great mm. matches, instant classics. So it's like, why wait? Let's run it back now while it's still fresh in everybody's memory. And, and it's a match that people want to see again. Why wouldn't you want to see it again? I think it's going to be even better because the one complaint for the uh, Wonder of Stardom match was the, you know, it was a draw, it was a 30-minute draw, so it, you're forced to sort of pat it out a little bit. Uh, they won't have this issue here. They're probably going to shave 10, 17 minutes off the original runtime, and I think it's just going to be like basically the second half of that match is going to be from the first, from the, the bell rings at Dream Queendom, and it's going to just be that next level up, I think. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's gonna be a tough match to beat, but I think Suzu oh, yeah. might be able to do it. Speaking of Suzu, Micah, down. <laughs> you can see what I did? I gave you an easy segue, brother. <laughs> Suzu Suzuki versus Micah for the vacant World of Stardom Championship. Either way, first time champion. Can't yeah, do so much, you know. Yeah, either way, they can build so many different things of both of these people. I mean, it, if Suzu was supposed to win the belt at Gold Rush, and Sayo was supposed to win the five-star regardless of injury. If that would have ended up playing out that way, they could have easily have renewed that rivalry between them that started in last year's five-star. There's been a lot of build in that situation. We've seen any time Suzu and Sire kind of in the same ring together, it feels like they go out of their way to do, you know, head-to-head kind of looking at each mm-hmm. other, doing the uh, the perfect sort of photo opportunity that they love to do in stardom. Uh, so, yeah, they would have been calling back to that. And, like, hopefully, like, if Suzu wins the title, um, they find a way to get Saika Matani into a main event match against her because... They, they've been doing great work and they have another gear to go. And, yeah, that, that could end up being a match of the year candidate in 2024. 100%. And then finally announced Mayu will be making a return at Dream Queendom. That's what, that's, that just makes everything yeah. a little bit brighter, doesn't it? Mayu coming back. Yeah. She'll probably do like a simple tag or trios match. Uh, you know, she's got January 4th to focus on with the championship. Uh, probably setting up who's going to face her there. Uh, but every, every stardom show is better with Mayu's face on it. Definitely. She is an icon for a reason. Yeah, I would. If they don't have anything, for, obviously, because her big match is going to be the week after at that January 4th show at Tokyo Dome City Hall. But I would love to see a Stars vs. Stars match of Kagama's out there. I would love to see Icon tag Mayu and Han versus Hazuki and Kagama. I think that'd be a great match. That that would steal the undercard by about four stars. And that's not knocking the rest of whatever the undercard ends up being. That's how exciting that is. Because the faction versus faction matches always go that extra bit harder. They were, they were now that I, I just kind of spit it out there, they were the main event of the first night of the Goddess Tournament. Yeah, yeah. And it was fantastic. It was great. It was one of the matches of the tournament, absolutely. It was, and... Now that we're here, thank you guys. Thank both of you so much for coming on. Uh, this is a long time in the making, but thank you both for your time. Matt, do you have any plugs you want to throw in? Of course I do. I am a plug machine. Folks, any questions, <laughs> comments, uh, anything that you want to talk about, best way to get a hold of me, Matt Turner OF on the Instagram and or the Twitter. If social media is not your thing, and I completely understand, you can shoot me an email to stardomcast22 at gmail is the best way to get a hold of me via the email. 
folks, if you do get a chance, if you do enjoy the Stardom chat and you've not checked out the Stardom cast, what are you waiting for, folks? Just uh, check out the Stardom cast. All the links are in all my bios on uh, all my social media. Also, we have a YouTube channel that we're adding so much to as the YouTube channel is growing. And also, uh, check out the Patreon. A lot of really good stuff there. We, uh, Rob and I do an alternate commentary of a Stardom match uh, that gets dropped every Tuesday, so one a week on that. As well as reviews in the back catalog of the reviews is is uh, anything from Utami's Red Belt run to Kagetsu's Red Belt run to both EO's uh, two Red Belt runs to Saya Kamatani's White Belt run to Izumi and Starlight Kid their respective high-speed championship runs. So there's so much in the back catalog on the Patreon, and we release uh, a Patreon episode probably once every three or four days, give or take. So there's a lot of stuff there. And uh, like I said, questions, comments, suggestions, Matt Turner OF on the Instagram and or the Twitter to send me a DM. I do a pretty good job of getting back to everybody. All right. And Trent, the floor is yours. You certainly are a plug machine. That was a smooth operation. Watch me botch it from here. Um, so you can find me on Twitter or X at One Up Culture. I have a few different podcasts going around depending on what you're interested in. I've got Choco Cast on the Wrestling Network covering Gatto Move and Choco Pro. I've got Ocean Cyclone Show with Ryan and Scott also on wrestling, which is kind of general Joshi. It's kind of meant to be evergreen content, a lot of games, a lot of quizzes, just fun content really. And also with Scott on the Count Out Podcast Network. Every second week we release Stardom Road, which is a historical podcast basically covering the history of Stardom over its 13 years and all the little things here and there. So if you're a new Stardom fan and want to get more information on what the Stardom was from before in the past, definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, I also do writing on Wrestle In. Uh, it's coming to the end of the year, so obviously there's going to be a lot of end-of-year content coming out. Uh, every year I do a Stardom Year in Review piece, which will be coming out. Also wanting to cover like what's coming out in Japan over the New Year's period because it can be overwhelming seeing 15 different shows coming out in the span of five days. So what are the matches of interest? What promotions are doing stuff of interest? So I'm saying that it's it's not official. I'm hopefully by putting this out into the cosmos, I will actually get around to writing and releasing that. But there'll always be stuff popping up on WrestleIn with my name attached to it for better or for worse. So if after listening to this podcast, you're not sick of my voice, not sick of what I'm all about, then there's stuff that you can check out from here. Beautiful. And as we close it out, hope both of you had a wonderful time here. I hope to have both of you on again in the future. But thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>